Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus to help us continue to make high quality and Torytainment for you. Is there anything that you find is too personal to ever write about in a song? Sure. I mean, I think that there are times that you... Um you figure that as a writer you're going to expose something and um, I've tried to keep some of my life private not to go into certain detail but as a writer you have to be able to not feel like you're censoring or being too put under the microscope. To delve into those, those, some of those personal moments. Is it surprising to you that so many people do connect to you? Well, I think I've gotten so many amazing letters from people. Everybody has their own story. And I think people would be surprised how many people have had to survive some pretty harrowing things. At such a young age, too, a lot of them. Absolutely. Some of my favorite writers have been Sylvia Plath. And Sexton, and I think um, Alice Walker, and you, you're inspired by, I think, those that have inspired you. Mm. And those women tackled some pretty serious subjects. And you can do it, and sometimes there's a sense of humor, sometimes there's not. But I think that, um, I don't know, I've always loved chasing the dark. Chasing it, eating it, dancing with it. Hey everybody, you're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts, I'm Efren Jr. And I'm David Anderson. And on this episode, we're talking about A Thousand Oceans, the 11th track from Tori's fifth album, To Venus and Back. Hi, David. Hey, Eve. How are you? I'm pretty good. Good. How are you? I'm fine. How are you feeling at the end of our journey? We're not at the end of the journey. We've only just begun. We're at the end of a leg of the journey. I feel like we just got to the airport. Me too. <laughs> it's like <laughs> such a big to-do to get ready and pack, I know. I know. And we still have like 12 albums or something, so everyone calm down. Nothing's changing. We're not going anywhere. Yeah, but how did you pack differently considering we were traveling in space? Well, I brought my crimper, first of all. Uh-huh. That was the most important thing. <laughs> I had to bring a crimper. What'd you bring? I brought Y2K Panic. <laughs> Oh, great. (laughs) I'm excited to have taken this journey with you. What's next? We've gone to hell together and space. I guess we've also gone to the depths of the ocean. Where else could we possibly explore? Well, I can't give too much away, David, but we've been invited to a costume party. Oh, that sounds a little more low-key. Yeah, it's going to be fun. We're going to meet a lot of new people. We're going to meet a lot of different people. Maybe I was wrong. I have a little bit of social anxiety. I noticed. Meeting 13 strange people sounds upsetting. 
I'm glad you counted the twins as two. Of course. I'm glad you caught that. And maybe we'll even hear from them themselves. Really? Maybe we'll even hear their inner thoughts, their inner monologues. Who knows what we have in store? I don't know. I actually don't know. How are you? Are you excited yourself to be done with this uh, album? Yeah, I am. I like transitioning to the next project, and I think we've done it, you know? Yeah, we did it. I have new appreciation for this album as a whole. I have new appreciation for the individual tracks, some of them. Not that I didn't understand what they were about necessarily, but I wasn't really getting what they meant in terms of this album, in the context of this album, like Josephine, for example. It's like, why is Josephine on Tavinus and back? Why is Tori using this character? What she now I like I get it. So I'm comfortable moving on. Oh good. We have no choice. So it's good to be comfortable. It's not like we haven't done things twice in the past, but okay. Okay. So tell me about your thoughts on A Thousand Oceans when you first heard the song, because you heard the song probably before the album came out is my guess, right? I might have. I honestly don't remember. Well, it was released as a single. But not until after Bliss. I know, but two weeks after Bliss, wasn't it? Was it that soon? Was that because they were trying to push it to like AA radio? Yeah, they each went to a different market. According to The Dent, A Thousand Oceans was pushed to hot AC, modern AC, and pop radio, whereas Bliss was pushed to alternative radio exclusively. And A Thousand Oceans was released as a single on September 7th, 1999, only two weeks after the commercial release of Bliss, not the radio push to Bliss. But there were two different commercial releases, two different pushes to two different types of radio. Was that the first time that it happened in her career where there was like a push? to two different audiences? Maybe. I know that there were two different singles released from Under the Pink, for example. Yeah, yeah Americans got that God. was US-UK. Yeah, exactly. You didn't let me say it. You knew what I was going to say. See, Sorry. we're like one person. Yeah, That's we're at fine. the point where we're finishing each other's thoughts. We're like the Heart of Gold twins, and we're like, it's not glamorous. It's just business. Just business. <laughs> you know which one I am, though. You know which one I always have been. No, I don't. Yeah. You want to be the little orphan Annie one? I don't want to be. I am. Why is that? The one with the short curly hair. Why? Because she's fierce. The other girl takes too much time to do her hair. She says it's not glamorous, but look at that hair. But you're the one traveling with a crimper. I mean, not in this next... I'm traveling with a crimper now. In the future, I'll quit using the crimper. I have had not haven't used the crimper. Stop trying to use my words against me. (laughs) Okay. Stop remembering things I say as if they have value and meaning. Thank you. And stop taking my imaginary scenario from one era and planting those facts onto another imaginary scenario in a different era. Thank you. I appreciate that. I put a lot of stock in your hair care and your beauty regimen in general. That skin... Full-headed, 35. I know, and your vegan diet. That's the secret. <laughs> anyway, talk to me about Tori Amos. Uh, oh, is that what we're doing on this show? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I don't remember, oddly enough, and it might have been because of, I don't know, the difficulty I was having. I won't tell the story about being in the car with the potato wedges again, but I feel like my memory of this era isn't quite as clear. <laughs> I don't have the landmarks around single releases and remembering A Thousand Oceans as clearly as I do some of the other events that transpire around this time oh um but it definitely felt like i don't know that i would say a departure but maybe this song felt like sort of a sister to something like china maybe and a sound that she hadn't necessarily dabbled in that much like she'd certainly written a ballad before several of them Arguably, but this is more of a mainstream kind of straight ahead pop ballad. And that must be the reason why they saw the potential to market it to kind of an adult contemporary audience, right? Mm -hmm. I would think that you would love this song because it was a ballad. I would think that you were craving a song like this because it was a ballad. Not all ballads are created equal, though. 
Well, that's true. I mean, were you changing? Were you perhaps becoming more team banned? Like, where were you? Maybe. Like, maybe particle by particle. It was like a gradual thing. But maybe, yes, I was less in the mood for a ballad and more in the mood for, I don't know, techno-infused anger. (laughs) I don't know. Okay, yeah. I mean, you were in your party phase. Yeah, and maybe I was just already, I'd done all the crying I could do, and I was like, a thousand oceans? Jesus. I mean, an ocean's pretty deep. It takes a lot of tears to fill up I know. one ocean. A Much less a thousand. That's a good point. God. You gotta hydrate. She says it like it's kind of like, I don't know, it's somewhere between a threat and a promise. Like, I'd cry a thousand, like, you don't have to do that, and I'm not sure what that would accomplish, but... <laughs> You can if you want. Well, what it accomplishes, David, and we're going to kick it off right here. What, what crying a thousand, this is what no one understands. And I'm here, I'm here to tell you. Crying a thousand oceans provides the water upon which you may sail home. You're far away from me. You can't get back and I will fill a thousand oceans until it automatically lifts your boat back into the water and then you can sail back to me i don't know that's the point that seems unnecessarily complicated like i could have just walked and now i have to find a boat you think you're gonna walk the span of a thousand oceans no you can start walking but i will cry these thousand oceans worth of tears and then you'll you'll magically be home to me because you will suddenly be cast upon the water well how did i get there in the first place is one question that i have how'd you get where wherever i need to sail home from it's emotional we drifted apart Oh, it's an emotional journey? I'm not yes. I'm not familiar. Okay. Can't you feel the distance? Getting close. Getting far? See, maybe you're right. Maybe I'm right. Who said it? <laughs> this is a sequel to China. It's a sister to China. I don't know. It's a sister to China. Sister China. Mm-hmm. But I think that all ballads are sisters. I think all songs are sisters. I mean, they have one mother. <laughs> <laughs> Bliss, the single, was released on August 24th, 1999. And A Thousand Oceans, the single, was released on September 9th, 1999. And I had already, in between, you're not going to believe this this is a wild story but in that era remember bliss was leaked early so i would estimate that i was probably listening to bliss somewhere like early august 1999 like august 1st like in that area on an endless loop well no i would have to go to the computer lab to hear it on the internet oh i didn't have like a way to download the music from the internet onto like a i didn't have a phone or an ipod like that or anything so if you recall, I would go to the University of New Mexico where I wasn't even a student because uh, I was too young and I would listen to this song on the internet. And there, it was like leaked from a radio station who'd played it early and so you could hear like the announcer at the beginning and it was just like really cool. And I would go, I think it was The Dent probably, and I would go and find it and listen to it at, like every night. And I would spend like hours in the computer lab every night just listening to the song and like doing like searching the internet for, to- you know, printing out Tory pages and whatever. Of course. So that happened. But in between... I guess the first week of August and when A Thousand Oceans was finally released, I had made a huge transition in my life and I moved from Albuquerque back to Las Cruces. And so I didn't hear A Thousand Oceans until I actually heard it on the radio. Wild. That's all. And what did you think? (laughs) It was very different. It was very different, but I loved it. Different from Bliss or? Yes, yes. You have to imagine at the time, I'm exploring my... Besides just exploring my, who I was as a person, I was exploring who I was as a Tori Amos fan. Mm-hmm. And I was really into this new sound from Choir Girl. And then Bliss was sort of an extension of that, I felt, going forward in the technological arena. And then we have A Thousand Oceans, which kind of like threw us back into like the piano ballad. And I really liked it. And I thought, oh, this is going to be huge. This is going to be a major hit. But um, 
I still preferred Bliss, of course, because I'm team band. I, I didn't know at the time that I was team band. You didn't? Uh, we were all just waiting for you to figure it out. We knew. No. <laughs> I came out as team band and everyone was like, obviously, I finally. <laughs> I remember the first time I saw you in your three-quarter length pants that you invented. My man Prees. Your man Prees. I was like, oh, he's team band through and through. Good for him. And my man bun, my man bun, and my man Prees. That's yeah. true. Listening to A Thousand Oceans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. All man. That's my journey with this album from beginning to end. Bliss to A Thousand Oceans. And I love it all. And I still love it all. And A Thousand Oceans holds a really special place in my heart. And I hope yours too. And you know what? In 2021, when she released Ocean to Ocean, she could then say, like, I've always been interested in oceans. <laughs> yeah, I've always been fascinated by the beheading of Anne Boleyn and the ocean. And oceans. I've always been fascinated by oceans, obviously. <laughs> So it's just a through line that carries through her career that I really respect, admire, and enjoy and love the water metaphor. I love the video. I love it all. Don't try to convince me otherwise. It's not going to happen. Okay. Not at this stage in our lives. (laughs) Which of these oceans is the blackest? (laughs) (gasps) That's good. Should we talk about our guests? Okay. We are rounding out this season by speaking with an old friend, music video director Eric Ifigen, who directed the video for A Thousand Oceans, starring Meghan Markle and Tori Amos. If you got married, your name would be Ephraim Ephigen. Just saying. Don't think I haven't thought about proposing just for that reason. You should, yeah. I think he's entangled with someone, is my guess, because he's very talented. Mm-hmm. That's like when we used to say that if Dora married Judge Ido, her name would be Dorito. Oh, shut up. Yeah. I never knew that. That's so true. <laughs> Did Dora ever try? To marry Judge Ido? Yeah. Not to my knowledge. <laughs> oh, missed opportunity. Yeah. But I wouldn't go by Ephraim. I'd go by Eve. So it'd be Eve again. Eve again? Eve again. I like it. We also have the wonderful Erin Marie Rutledge, who is from New Mexico. And we're going to talk about her love of a thousand oceans. She's a charming, lovely person. And I love chatting with her. So we'll talk to her as well. Wonderful. And I couldn't be happier to announce our very special guest, Mexican folk legend and icon from the beyond, La Llorona. Now, if anybody could cry a thousand oceans, I believe La Llorona could do it. She knows a thing or two about crying, and she'll be crying her way through this episode. I cannot believe we actually booked her. Thank you for being here, La Llorona. And that's all she wrote. Those are the last guests on this season of Drive All Night. Write that down. If you want to be a guest on the Strange Little Girls season, please let us know ASAP because we're in pre-production for that. And you can let us know only by email, songsoftoryamus at gmail.com. And please put the song that you want. If you're interested in talking about a song, please put that in the subject line. It's the only way I stay organized. Do you accept abbreviations? Like if you see T-Pook in your inbox, are you like, no. yeah, no? No. Okay. I'll be like, what song is this? I don't know. Delete. Mm. I prefer full Christian name. <laughs> you know when your Cabbage Patch doll had a birth certificate? Yeah. Yeah. I think mine was a forgery, but still. We can't do this without our wonderful historian, archivist, sea captain, and tear wiper, <laughs> <laughs> Shay Stymac. I've cried a thousand oh shanes. Mm-hmm. I guess that's what it would take to shale you home. Shale. Shale me home. Shale. Over Shaleberry Hill. Through the Shaler oh. Field. Oh, through the Shaler Field. <laughs> Thanks, Shay, for everything that you do. You're all going to hear from Shay on the wrap up. So don't worry. If you have any questions for Shay, send them our way. Thanks, Shay. Thanks, Shay. 
Should we say hello to our Patreon supporters, David? Yeah, let's do it. Hi, Pats and expats. That's a name? Patreons. Hi, Pats and expats. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. Oh, get with it. This is going to be a grueling, <laughs> it is. grueling I'm hello. Sorry. I'm sorry. And by the way, these are not all the new patrons. We have more new patrons for the upcoming carnival episode. So don't okay. worry. We're breaking them in half. Yes. And if for some reason we don't say your name by the end of the carnival episode or the wrap-up episode, please let us know. So it's more like 500 oceans at this point. Exactly. Hello to new patron Mike F. Hmm. I'm assuming the F stands for footman. Like I heard the eternal footman got himself a mic to race. Hello to new patron Matthew Maru. Matthew Maru, John and Luke, Mama. Mama looks to you for truth. These are the days of reckoning. Mama. Hello to new patron Jeff Tate. I'm tating around the truth who Jeff is. Tating. Winter. No. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> I forgot that song. Welcome back to Lindsay Atencio. Ooh, welcome back. Hang a 10, hang a tencio, honey. I'm going to go where Lindsay goes. <laughs> Good one. Hello to Sax Eno. Love to see ya. I like it so much, I'm going to say what I think I said before, which is, don't you want more than my sax? But don't worry, that's not all I got. How about the saxiest thing is trust? Mm. Good one. I guess I was an Eno, yeah. Welcome back to Leah Williams. Uh, you know you're gonna la 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 to you in your own way. Hello to Burton Urkuhart. Can you explain if truly his heart was made of Urku? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I thought that was gonna be difficult for you. Hello to Laurel. Hi, Laurel. Uh, through the eyes of Laurel Mars. Speaking of Laurel Mars, have you heard that Scarlet's Walk is being reissued or issued for the first time on vinyl? I just heard it from you earlier today. Breaking news. Hello to new patron R. Plache. Oh uh, yeah, there's Colonel Dirty Plache dishcloth. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> a big special thank you to Steve Schultz who jumped up his pledge. Thank you. Steve, thank you, Steve. me. Steve me with your Borneo. Hi, Dan. Just Dan. Is that us? Is that an acronym for Drive All Night? Oh, don't bring up Dan Soda. Okay, sorry. So I Dan faster, but it caught me here on Patreon. Hi, Chris Bowman, our new patron, Chris Bowman. Do you think he's still Chrising in the river now? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Hello to Buck McGee, new patron Buck McGee. Uh, bu- 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 Buck McGee, I guess the kind of man that you would turn out to be. <laughs> That's a good one. That's your best one Should ever. Should do it again? together. Uh, look at me. Buck McGee. Buck McGee. Good one. I love you, Buck McGee. Hello to new patron Lauren. Hi, Lauren. This is going to be hard. Maybe you should do this. What's coming to mind is hotel, but I don't think my voice is in good enough shape to do it. Give me, Lord, give me, Lord, give me, Lauren. There we go. I had to take it down. Welcome back to Mimi Cross. I believe it's welcome back. If not, hello to new patron Mimi Cross. Oh, yeah. I got to have my Mimi so that I can have my cross. And last but certainly not least for this episode, a big special thank you to Skek Tech Huff or uh, Hugh or I don't know how to say it. I think it's... H- how, Hugh. I would say Huff. Skek Tech Paddywhack. Give a Huff a bone. What's that from? This old man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Good one. That's it. All right. And on this episode, there's going to be a ton of covers. There's literally 1,000 covers of this Mm. song. And we'll be playing a lot of them today. It's one cover per ocean, yeah. We're going to hear from everybody, all different styles. And here's the very first cover, and it's one of my favorite string quartets. It's the Vitamin String Quartet. Roll it, Oliver.
Um, what else are you going to do for us this evening? Something from the new record? Maybe? Yeah, I'm going to do this. Um, this little song came when I came. Um, I was sleeping, and at 5.30 in the morning, this voice was humming this to me. You know, maybe I have to give it publishing. I don't know, but anyway. The thing is, um, I tootled over to the piano, I f and I tried to put it down, and I couldn't get the words. And when she came to visit me, um, the thing that really got me was the um, amount of love that she had for this person that she was singing about. And that really, um, I don't know, to, to see that depth of love sometimes in a song. Because I told you they're hussies, so not all of them have that kind of love. But she's, um, she's a different creature. Thousand Oceans, produced by Tori Amos, recorded and mixed and engineered by Mark Hawley and Marcel Van Limbeek, appears on the following physical media. We first hear of A Thousand Oceans from the sampler, upcoming tracks from To Venus and Back. That's the first inkling we have of this song, of her existence, of her birth. And then we hear the single, I said September 9th earlier, but I meant September 7th. <laughs> September 7th. We have the single release of the CD and cassette and 7-inch jukebox final single of A Thousand Oceans. Do you have a jukebox? What a choice. No, I don't. If you had a jukebox, would you put it in there? And the only answer is yes. I'd put it right next to Spark, I guess. Next, we hear from A Thousand Oceans on To Venus and Back, orbiting the double CD and cassette released in the UK on September 20th, 1999, and the United States on September 21st, 1999. Always a day ahead. A Thousand Oceans appears on the European CD single, which was released on January 10th, 2000. And the next time we hear from the song, and I went, this was back in the day when I was still buying everything, everything, everything. My collection was expanding and limitless. And I purchased this, and I still have it. The Here on Earth motion picture soundtrack from the movie Here on Earth, starring Lily Zobieski. Uh, Remember her? Yes. And that was released March 14th, 2000, and that contained A Thousand Oceans. And I wanted to support. I was here to support. I never really thought about the fact that Tori had a song on the Twister soundtrack and the Here on Earth soundtrack, and they both star Helen Hunt. Isn't Lily Zobieski in Here on Earth? Aren't they the same person? I hear what you're saying. We next hear from A Thousand Oceans in 2005 when it appears on one original bootleg from Boston, Massachusetts, August 21st, 2005. I was there. Roll it, Ollie. These tears show it appears on disc c of a piano her retrospective released on september 26th 2006 she basically put all of to venus and back on a piano well it needs to be there it's really great okay you have a problem with that david no i'm just stating a fact fade to red the dvd music video collection contains the video directed by eric ifigen who we'll speak to later your fiance yeah ifigen's original ifigen mm -hmm. <laughs> and last but certainly not least we hear from A Thousand Oceans when she appears on Five Legs and Boots, Syracuse, Philadelphia, Washington, Chicago, 
and Nashville. Roll Chicago, Oliver. I'm away with the rules but you know that I will run. You know that I will Overseas, we'll through the I'd like to read you a little from the Wikipedia page, because A Thousand Oceans, not every Tori Amos song has its own Wikipedia page, okay? But this one does. She does. She updates it herself. <laughs> She's sitting there, yep. eating chips, updating her <laughs> Wikipedia page. <laughs> boop, 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 boop. Okay, A Thousand Oceans is a song by Tori Amos released as the second single from her 1999 album To Venus and Back. It reached number 22 on the Hot 100 single sales, though it did not chart on the Hot 100. The song deals with issues of love and loss and is based on the singer's personal experiences. It was released on September 7th, 1999 and was generally well received by critics. Amos has explained that the idea for the song came to her in a dream. An old African woman was humming the melody to her, and she got up around 5.30 in the morning to record it. She describes writing the transition from the melody line around the words, I can't believe that I would keep keep you from flying, to, and I would cry a thousand more, as particularly difficult and what took the longest time. The inspiration for the lyrics came when her father-in-law died, and she claims the song helped her husband deal with the grieving process. The lyrics contain references to Silbury Hill, an ancient mound in Wiltshire, England. This is a place often visited by Amos and her husband. Why don't you keep reading? The video for the song was directed by Eric Ephraim and filmed by Toby Irwin, and it was shot in a downtown Los Angeles parking lot. It shows Amos singing inside a glass booth. The booth is in a busy street, and as people walk by, some stop and stare. Others are engaged in everyday activities, and at one point, a full-scale riot breaks out in the street while Amos behaves like a mere distant observer. The video had its TV debut on MTV's 120 Minutes on October 24th, 1999. Reviewers generally had a positive attitude towards A Thousand Oceans, and many mentioned it among the better tracks on the album. VH1 said the song was one of the most billowing songs she's written in a while. The tech called the melody of the song and lust powerful ballads and some of Tori's finest. Others were less impressed, though. Spin Magazine called the album track perhaps the most disappointing and claimed Amos came across as a Celine Dion Leanne Rimes ripoff. Okay, this is a thing. I'm getting pissed off already. There can be multiple women in music. Mm. <laughs> multiple, you know what I mean? It's like no one wants to let two women exist in music. I'm not sure that's what's happening here. That's what's happening. Okay. What do you think's happening? I think comparisons are drawn all the time. They're not saying there's room for only one, but that this song sounds like maybe one or either of these musicians in a way that her other songs hadn't. Are they listening to the same A Thousand Oceans I'm listening to? Well, can I tell you a quick story? It'll be 10 seconds long. Always. I went with a not Tori Amos fan to the first Irvine show on this tour. Why would you do that to yourself and to us? Well, because I had a crush on him and it was very complicated. Oh, that guy. But anyway, uh. <laughs> yeah, that one guy. Um, there's a guy for every ocean. Anyway, took him to the show and she played A Thousand Oceans and he did not know the song and he referred to it as like a Celine Dion moment in the middle of the show. And I was like, oh no, crush over. 
Wow. Yeah, good. I'm glad you chose correctly. <laughs> Point being, he came up with that comparison on his own. So, you know. He had just read Spin Magazine. I don't you think he that. had. I don't think he. He told me. Oh. Wait, you had a secret relationship with him behind my back? No. When you introduced me to him that night, mm. he, he was like, have you seen the new article in Spin? That's why I'm here. <laughs> and then you pulled the clipping out of your pocket. You were like, this one? This one? And he reread it just mm. to confirm it was the right one. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yes, that's what Wikipedia <laughs> has to say. <laughs> and then it goes on, if you want to read the rest, it goes on to list the track listing for each of the singles, the US, the Australia, the France, the German. And then the weekly chart position, it charted in Australia at 145 was the peak position. And in Canada, adult contemporary at 50. So yeah, killing it. All right. Did you ever hear this song on the radio? I actually don't think I did. I heard Bliss a lot on K-Rock. But yeah, K-Rock played it like every hour on the hour. Um, But I don't think I ever heard A Thousand Oceans. Tragic. Yeah, I don't think after Bliss I heard anything on the radio until a sort of fairy tale. And that was always very shocking to me. And I felt nude. When a sort of fairy tale became like such a mainstream pop crossover hit and they played it on like Star, Star 98.7 in LA and everything. And like hearing Tori on the radio like that, it just felt like sort of an invasion of my privacy. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) why is this very personal thing being blasted out into the world to be like judged and absorbed? I just don't like it. I'm sorry that happened to you. I'm sorry everyone saw you. Thank you. You can heal yourself by reading from the Charlotte Observer from September 17th, 1999. Why don't you do in 1,000... Oh, sorry. <gasps> I, mean, I didn't even do it on purpose. Don't and do I, that. I'm looking at the number and I pronounce it one thousand. You're giving La Llorona something to cry about. Let's talk about that now. Okay. Let's talk about the 1,000 Oceans, 1,000 Oceans debacle. That's how I always tell if someone's a real Tory fan or if they've actually heard the song at all. Like when she was doing the press circuit for this era and she was playing 1,000 Oceans a lot and people would introduce it as 1,000 Oceans. I'm like, you didn't hear this. You didn't prepare yourself. You're trash. You got me. I'm not a real Tory fan. Let it be known. (laughs) Not you, but I'm talking about the interviewers on TV and stuff. My other favorite songs are Clouds on My Tongue and Caught a Little Sneeze. Don't forget These Precious Things. These Precious (laughs) Things. Go ahead. All right. In a thousand oceans, Amos sings of crying oceans of tears to sail someone back. The song would fall flat with most anyone singing of longing, but the sadness in her voice makes it real. The song comes from a few places, said Amos, who was born in Newton. It started with a dream I had. An African woman was singing to me, singing the melody, humming it to me. I got up and found the piano, got up at 5.45 a.m., recorded the melody, and went back to bed. Inspiration for lyrics came later, when her father-in-law died in February. Amos matched the feelings that accompany emotional isolation with her husband's grieving process. Her husband is Mark Holly, one of her engineers. They were so incredibly close that a thousand oceans seemed to be the only thing that could bring him out of his sadness, she said. He'd come out and sit and say, could you play that one, the ocean song? It became about feeling close to people you can't reach, seeing this depth of love for this person who was gone. I love that. I really do. This sounds like a frustrating collaboration. Why? Well, like a ghost crosses oceans, I guess, of time to bring you this melody. And then she's like, figure the words out yourself. I can't do everything. I guess it's fair. I think that what's at the heart of this quote, too, is something that I don't see very often. Because we all think that, you know, obviously Tori and Mark have worked together for 25 years at this point, more. And you know they work together and it's a business and he's really supportive in that way. So I never think that he might be touched by the music just as much as we are. Mm. And so this is a really lovely moment where you can track that her music is bringing him comfort and she's writing it for him and about something he's going through. 
And I really love that. Because we all imagine, like, if we had a private personal relationship with Tori, like, just listening to her play, like, how amazing that would be, right? But he gets to do that. And, it, like, I don't know. It's just really sweet. Do you think there was ever a conversation about not including this on the album because of that personal connection? Maybe. I don't think that. But I do. I already was questioning why it's never been played as much as it should have been for, like, a single. Mm. And I think that might be why. Like, it is so personal to him that she wouldn't want to bring it up, maybe in concert so much do we know what's on the list of mark's favorite songs that we know he has a connection to space dog a thousand oceans anything else yes the one that didn't get released on boister pele that eventually became um snow cherries snow cherries yeah Mm -hmm. remember that was the one he was fighting for Mm -hmm. oh obviously the sandwich song (laughs) and london girls (laughs) mark hello hello mark all right, your turn. Tit for tat, Eve. Why don't you hit me with a quote? Why are you talking about my tats? <laughs> well. Okay, this is from AOL.com, September 29th, 1999, when someone dared to ask her, what inspired you to write A Thousand Oceans? And she said, well, different things, really. I was woken up in the middle of the night at about 5.30 in the morning or something, and a woman's voice was singing to me. She was African, quite ancient, and I couldn't understand any of the words, but she was humming the first couple phrases. So I crawled out of bed and found my way to the piano and put it on a little ghetto blaster so I wouldn't forget it. And the next few weeks, I started to shape it. It wasn't about one event. It was clear to me that there was this endless determination that the song had to reach her love. And I don't know if that was a child or a lover or a friend who the song couldn't seem to be able to make contact with anymore. So when I finally found it, I was looking through a map, and when I look for lyrics, I go hunting. So I was looking through all the maps and finding places. I was looking on maps of Dartmoor, and I was working with a lot of different regions, and finally it hit me that it was through the solar field, and it wasn't listed on the maps, because I was being dragged away from the maps to go to sort of a physics book, actually an astronomy book, a book on all sorts of laws and principles of the universe that Marcel had. And as I finally found the solar field, it was like I started to feel her jump up and down. Sometimes the songs do that. You get a sense that they really are alive. So my husband had lost his father and he would swing by where I was playing and he would say to me, can you play that little song about the oceans? And that seemed to be sort of a way that we would talk about his dad when no other words would work. So I think it means different things for different people. But the sense that I got was I couldn't measure the amount of love that this song had for the person that she was singing it about. And it was quite... It moved me. It was like a resolve, an endless resolve to follow her love. And she's not a stalker, by the way. I love it. What do you love about it? I have endless love for that. (laughs) For this quote? For everything. I'm getting a little emotional about this whole show and this whole season that we've done. And ending the album with, like you even kind of poked a little about it being just uh, a ballad or like a sequel to China, I think is what you said, or like a sister to China. And it's so easy to see the sadness in it. These tears I've cried, you know, we cry when we're sad and I would cry a thousand more. But like she's looking at it through the lens of endless love that I would do anything and whatever it takes to bring you home. I will find you. I will go to the ends of the earth to find you. And that this woman who has appeared to her in a dream or she's woken up with this melody in her head and paired it with this vision of this woman that maybe she was in a dream that that woman is searching for someone and has crossed her subconscious only briefly for that moment in her pursuit of finding who she's looking for and Tori doesn't know who she's looking for but she's and she's trying to help her hunt this person down and all she's able to find is this depth of love and that it like touched I don't know I just really think that's so beautiful hmm. 
So when she says an African woman appeared to me and was singing this to me, I think what that really means, like if you have to put it in like, let's be literal, I think she probably woke up with the melody in her head and the vision and you know how like you have the snap from a dream? It probably was that, that pairing. I don't know. I love it. The idea that someone would cross the earth for you or cross the thousand oceans to find you. Tori has sort of marked several quests over the course of her career and clocked, you know, what she'd be willing to do. She'd cry a thousand oceans. She'd skate to Scandinavia and to Jupiter, I guess. Mm -hmm. She's committed. I agree. I love this too, especially the way she talks about the song jumping up and down or getting the sense that it was jumping up and down when she got it right. Because I love that insight to her creative process and her commitment to translating the songs correctly, let's say. Because she only gets a piece or she gets their essence and then she's kind of, you know, putting the lyrics together or giving the crew instructions like make it sound like the brain. Like the song knows what it is and she's just trying to like bring it to, I don't know, like get the form right as close as she can get. I just love hearing about that. I agree. I love it too. Uh, I have such endless love for this music. I really do. <laughs> and I'm, <laughs> I can't explain it. Obviously, you get it. This is from Best Magazine France, October 1999, when Best asked Tori, do you have to feel the emotions in your song in real life to be able to describe them? And she says... Sometimes I feel them through other people. Take a thousand oceans. I had a dream at five in the morning of an African woman's voice, very tribal. It wasn't a language I knew. I only understood the melody, and it only had a few measures. I went to my piano in the dark and recorded two measures on a small tape recorder, which is always on. I sculpted the song during the following weeks, looking at Mark, who just lost his father. Until the day when, stricken by what I played in the living room, he said, Could you play the song about oceans? There was a moment when I realized I saw different pictures other than him within this song. I felt a deep love feeling when he came in, associating it to the memory and search of his father, because we don't know where those who leave this earth go. Sometimes the love feelings of my songs come from someone else, and I'm just there to look at it. And then when you're dealing with loss, and you're dealing with loss through the framework of love, like an eternal quest for this person again, then we get into the journey of souls, and then we get into this idea that like someone that you love or that meant so much to you in this life, you'll see again in a different form, in a different life, you know? I think all that's in here. What do you think? I think you're right. I'm going to cry, David. You think they're in a different form? Well, obviously they're in a different form if we're seeing them in the afterlife. But do you think we'll recognize them? Will we recognize each other? Should we come up with a sign? (laughs) I was trying to do this like journey of souls therapy, like the life between lives, it's called, where you like meet with someone and they sort of guide you to figure out what your life between your lives was and like what your ultimate thing that you're working out is and i never actually did it because he had moved for it was during the pandemic and he had moved from la i think to arizona and then like couldn't get back it just the timing wasn't right whatever but one of the early homework assignments he gave me was to list the 10 characters in my life like a cast of characters in a play who are the 10 most important people in my life like beginning to now Mm mm-hmm And so that's a really good exercise to do if you're trying to figure out who you'll see again or who you think you'll meet again or like who you've known before. Because what was surprising is of the 10 most influential people in my life, they weren't all people that like have been there all the time, you know. Mm -hmm. Of course, it was my parents, but then, you know, some people were only there in part of my life for a brief moment, yet still made the list. I love this. Contact that guy again. I need to know. I should. I should. I should. I will. 2023. Slay. You came up with 100 goals for 2023, and that wasn't on the list? I did. Ugh. And if you want to hear my 100 goals, you can listen to our sister program, Never Shut Up, every day, five days a week. Thank you. Why don't you read this from Mojo Magazine, October 1999? Passion. I didn't know that passion could spread to friendship, to a marriage. 
I've cried a thousand oceans, and I would cry a thousand more if that's what it takes to sail you home. To know that you feel that for somebody, you know that the body snatchers haven't taken all of you yet. Oh, so true. I didn't know that passion could spread to friendship, to a marriage. How do you feel about that? Is she talking about the friendship of her spouse in this case? Or is that a separate relationship she's talking about? I think I interpret that as the same. Mm -hmm. That the passion she felt for him, like the sexual animal passion, has spread to a friendship and into a marriage, Mm -hmm. like a partnership, is how I take that. Yeah, and this is another moment where I'm kind of getting more the song's placement on the album and how Tori, throughout To Venus and Back, is baby kind of tracking the evolution of passion and like finding, you know, she's found her passion at various points on Pele. She found her own passion. Now she has this passion for a partner. And what does that look like over time as you evolve together? I think that's a lot of what she's exploring here. And and who am I becoming in the context of this relationship too? Dang. Well said. And she finds it, and she finds that depth of passion in all its forms at the end of the journey. Mm. Oh. And that's kind of like a nice, like this water motif is kind of like the nice flip side to the fiery passion of Pele. This is kind of like the more patient, subdued passion. I agree. The more wise, subdued passion of someone who has, you know, endless an endless depth of love. And this is what they're willing to do. Which is everything and anything, right? Yeah. Let's read this from All Music Magazine, October 99. You want to be the reporter or you want to be Victoria Amos? Reporter. <laughs> the last cut onto Venus and Back, A Thousand Oceans, is not only more literal in its lyrical approach than much of the rest of the album, it's also more musically accessible. The first few bars even conform to a very familiar formula for pop chord progression. Did these aspects of the song surprise you as you were composing? Sure. An old African woman was humming it to me at 5.30 in the morning in my sleep. I went down to the piano. She was pretty ancient, and I couldn't understand a word she was saying, so I had to figure the words out. What I kind of got from it was the depth of lust that song had for somebody or something. It could be for this planet, I don't know, but the idea that this voice that was coming through very clearly, finally, I understood when I got the phrase, through the solar field. It's all completely aligned because I knew we were following maps. I was hunting down what the song was trying to tell me. You know, there's always galactic reference going on in this record. There's a scientific vocabulary going on in this record. Suede is about seduction. But there's always a science reference, a physics reference, because that's the realm of Venus. So I hung maps all over, and I knew I didn't have it right coming up with things. Then finally, I realized that whatever dimensions the song had to cross to find the being that she was devoted to, whether it was her mother or her sister or her lover or her friend, nothing could stop her. That kind of resilience was a real anchor for the record. In old-fashioned terms of craft, the chords on A Thousand Oceans are very solidly constructed. Was there more of a conscious element of songwriting technique on the song as you were writing? Well, there's usually an element of that in all the songs, but there was a moment when I knew that, and then she sings, I can't believe that I would keep... I can't believe that I would keep keep you from flying I kept circling that and circling that, never knowing how I would get out of it. Then to finally go up and I, and I would cry a thousand miles. It took me weeks to get there. It was really torturous to find that because I didn't know how I was going to get past keep you from flying. I didn't know lyrically or musically. So finally, and I would cry a thousand more. And it had to sound like it. She had to have progressed to that. She had to have done that musically. And home. That's what it takes 
to home. Had to be something. What's home? Well, home had to be G minor. What key is the song written in? B flat, then to E flat, and then the G minor chord. Back to G minor. Mm. What do you think about that? I love listening to Tori talk technically, musically. The very first time it ever happened that I was astounded by it was when I bought that CD in conversation. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. Where it's a bunch of, yeah. Is she like sort of holding her elbows on the cover or crossing her yeah. arms? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a 1995 interview disc at the end of 95 where she was doing Boyce for Pele promo on the radio. There's like seven or eight interviews. You yeah, know that one? and she's having like bagels delivered in all of them. Yeah. And it's like progressively as the day goes on, you yeah. can hear like butter, more fat, the more to love. Uh-huh. Sneak, sneak. And then she has the interview with Stoli from. <laughs> My favorite. Yeah. Okay, Stoli, squeeze yourself. Mm-hmm. Gush away, Stoli. Squeeze yourself. Anyway, that was one of those rare moments where someone earns Tori's respect with their ability yeah. to speak her language. You know, it's that thing of like, oh, I'm more citrus. And she's like, hmm, yeah, fair oh, enough. Fair enough. I like that. Yeah. Are you like, are you like Stoli and Coke? I mean, are uh, you? Yeah, Stoli and Lemonade more. I'm, I'm, you know, a little more citrus than that. Fair enough. <laughs> so in that conversation disc, she sings because they're like, can you get us the record? She's like, I, I, I'm, it's not, that's not me. She's like, well, you don't have it yet? He's like, no, we don't have anything. And so she's like, okay. And then she sings Cotolite Sneeze Acapella. Uh-huh. And her voice is just so like lush and you can just hear like the reverberate, like the breeze. You can hear the tones. Yeah. And it's amazing, right? Cotolite Sneeze. Cotolite Breeze. Cotolite Wait. Lightning Sea. Her chords are just like really lubricated with cream cheese. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And she sounds good. So that's the first time I ever heard her just like burst into singing a cappella in an interview. And now this whole interview, obviously, she's doing it. And I wish we had audio for it, but it was written down. It was not an audio recording. Do you think she does that at home all the time? Yeah. Why wouldn't you? (laughs) (laughs) I would. Why don't you read this from Aloha Magazine? Aloha. November 1999. The people in your life come and they go. Mark has lost his father this year. And you know what the strange thing is? I found it very difficult to help him. Sometimes there's just nothing to say. You cannot just take away someone's pain. To be the flame that warms the both of you, to be capable of loving someone that much, I think that is the reason that this record finally became the Venus record. It's about all these aspects of the heart. Here in the country, where you don't have those lights that distract you, I began noticing the rise of that planet to the sky, and it seemed appropriate to make a trip to Venus in this stage of my life, wherever it may be. There's some gems in that that may be overlooked, so let's point them out. Sometimes there's just nothing to say. You cannot take away someone's pain. Mm -hmm. That's a hard thing to learn when you're committed to someone, I think. Can I tell you something embarrassing? Please. As we've been talking about this album for 11 songs now, whenever we talk about Venus, the planet, I've always kind of just focused on the femininity of it. I, of course you did. <laughs> and, it, and Venus as like a symbol for woman. But I never really thought about the fact that like, obviously Venus is the goddess of love. <laughs> this whole album what? is like exploring the depths of love. I like actually never really thought about that or considered it too really? deeply. And I don't think we've said that specifically. I think we have. No, we I think haven't. We said, yes, we did. I recall one episode where we did talk about, you mentioned Venus, the goddess of love. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess I wasn't really sitting with that then. That's okay. I understand. Like, 
how some things resonate like suddenly in a moment. You're like, whoa. Yeah, it never even occurred to me that Venus either. Remember, I thought of Venus just as a planet. I came mm-hmm. into this thinking, what do you mean wherever it may be? We know where Venus is. And she's used the word passion a lot. Um, and obviously there can be many different kinds of passion, but I think she's using the words passion and love kind of interchangeably as she talks about this project. So, How do you stand now? Do you feel that you know Venus, the goddess of love? No. You don't know passion? I don't. You don't know passion? It's a lifelong getting to know you process. And it changes form over the years. So as we're exploring on this album and as Tori continues to explore her career, I think, to this day. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. To be capable of loving someone that much is what the record is about. Have you felt that before? Um, yeah, of course. Oh, I feel okay. Like <laughs> he said matter-of-factly. I think we all have. I'm surprised that you say you haven't. Maybe the body snatchers have gotten me. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> that makes sense with you. You love a horror film. <laughs> You'd be there like, get me. Get, get me. me first. Me first. No, no, no. Take me, me over. First. Take my body. They don't respect you like I do. <laughs> You can have it. <laughs> From VH1.com, October 1999, Tori Amos says, In the song, there is this ferocious commitment to finding this person. I don't know who the song is singing about. It's different for different people when they hear it. She has this depth of love for a daughter or whoever it is. I think some of the other songs look to her sometimes for that kind of resilience. That's interesting that some of the songs look to her for that kind of resilience. What does that mean, do you think? Interesting. All right. The other songs look to her sometimes for that kind of resilience. Do you think she means maybe some of the more kind of like angry morning songs of Choir Girl are looking to Thousand Oceans in their grief? That's interesting. When she mentions a daughter, I'm wondering if this is, you know, where this thread of lost children reemerges on this album. Mm. And that's who Tori is sort of hearing in the song. And then, you know, Mark held a different experience of the song. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because up to now it's been a friend, a lover, a spouse, a child, or whoever. But now here it's this depth of love for a daughter or whoever it is. Like, it's clear that it's a daughter. Yeah. And that's an interesting take on it. And and to have her experience that she's tracked from Choir Girl and beyond of searching for that. And then to be partnered with someone who's lost the other side of that, the parent. Like, mm-hmm. the, you know, he's a child without a parent and she's a parent without a child at this point. So... That grief, yeah, or that love, I guess, that bond. I can see Spark looking to this song for resilience. But what does that mean? That's what I'm questioning. What does that mean, looking to that song for resilience? Like, I'm doubting, if I'm Spark, I'm kind of doubting my womanhood, my ability to go on. I think all hope is lost. And then A Thousand Ocean comes along and is like, nope, this is how much resilience I have. This is what I'm willing to do. And I know I have it within me to do that. And you can do it too. But what does that mean, though? Looking to, does that mean she plays it differently? Or when she plays it, she feels stronger? Or what is, like, what is the literal... The second one. What was that? Yeah. Some of the other songs are written from more of a place of desperation, mm-hmm. maybe. And this song has more hope and optimism. So there's like a balance mm-hmm. that happens, maybe. I so see. rather than getting lost in that place of grief, this song kind of can lead the way out. I see. Like she's learned something from A Thousand Oceans and she carries that into this playing of this other stuff that might have a little bit more raw emotion or something. Yeah. Or even this is just like the way Tori talks. I think that's what she means. <laughs> Like this, yeah. this song taught me something or showed me resilience, but rather than just saying that, I'm going to say, well, she shows the songs, you know, whatever. Well, no, that's true. I get that. Why don't you read this from Die Zeit, a German magazine, November 11th, 1999. Some months ago, as I was working on my new album in Cornwall, I had a really important dream. A voice appeared in my head. I call her my dark angel. 
She was a soul sister who sang in my head. She was humming a melody to me. It was about half past five or six o'clock in the morning. I got out of bed and went over to the studio. In the country, the people there leave everything unlocked, so the studio was open. I went in and recorded the melody. From this melody, the song A Thousand Oceans developed. I worked for a very long time on it until it was finished. Sometimes it takes an incredible amount of time for me to understand a song I've recorded. Because I am so in it and I can't distance myself from it, sometimes I don't really understand my songs until I go on tour and live with them. They're like girls for me that keep me company. But sometimes I only understand my songs through the reactions of other people. This was the case with A Thousand Oceans. Mark had just lost his father. The two were very close because Mark was an only son. Before the death of my father-in-law, they talked on the phone every day. His father fooled us into believing he was getting better. He had cancer, and one day he was just dead. It was a shock for Mark because he had really believed it had gotten better. They'd already made plans for his father to come visit us in the USA. He'd never been there. And after he had died, my relationship with Mark became difficult. He was inconsolable. You can't do much for somebody who has lost the most important person in their life. I often held him in my arms and took long walks with him. I was just there for him a lot. But I never really got through to him. I still have my mother and father, so I didn't have that experience. I only reached him with a thousand oceans. After Mark heard the song, he would come to me, sit down next to the piano and say, please play that song again. And I played it for him. Through that, we connected once again. I brought him back from that other galaxy he was in a million miles away from me. So that dream was very special to me. It renewed the connection between Mark and me. I'm lucky to be sitting here on this side of the planet, never having had the experience of losing a parent. And here, when she is talking about this, this was 23 years ago, 24, 25 years ago. So she didn't have that experience either. I guess this informs kind of my surprise of why this song hasn't been played more, especially on the Ocean to Ocean tours we'll discover later in the live section. But... What do you think about this quote now? You know, it's hard to console someone who's lost the most important person in their life. And then the only way that she was consoled after her own mom died was through the music eventually. Because you remember during that press cycle, she was talking about how Mark, you know, she was inconsolable as well. Like her Mark couldn't get through to her. Nobody could get through to her. Mm. I think these days, a lot of her catharsis is in the creating, but not so much the performing. Like she doesn't really tend to go to those songs live for whatever reason. Oh, yeah. It reminds me of like in 95 when somebody asked her the experience of writing Boys for Pele and like what the performing them live was going to be. And she said, I don't know if I'll be reliving them or not. I'll have to see when I'm on tour, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. Does it ever turn on you and become something that is destructive? Um, we'll see. I, I don't know what this tour is going to be like as far as how it's going to affect me just because um, this record is so personal. It's about intimate experiences. And um, I, I don't know if I'll be reliving them as I play it or not. I don't really know that. But I do know that, for me, this record is partly my shadow. You remember that? Yeah. What do you say we get into the lyrical content, David? You want to do the line by line? Sure. You sure? Yeah. Scared of a little swimming? I am. Um, I just ate, so I should probably wait 30 minutes. Thousand oceans. These 
tears I've cried. I've cried a thousand oceans. I'm just going to ask. So from the quotes that we read, she didn't get any of the lyrics. It was just the melody. I feel like it was just the melody. Okay. But obviously this line had to have come first or had to have come relatively early because she's saying as she's tracking it or like hunting it, going through maps and things, Mark is asking her to play the Oceans song again. So at least the Oceans line has to have come first or relatively early. Yeah, interesting, because when she shares that story about her playing the song for Mark, I always imagine it in its completed form. Like it kept going on for a long time, meaning as he was grieving this loss, he kept asking her to play it, even after she'd, you know, finished writing it and maybe even recording it. Oh, interesting. These tears I've cried, I've cried. So, the character in this song has already cried a thousand oceans. Mm -hmm. So, is Tori speaking from the perspective of this otherworldly visitor? Because that's what it sounds like to me. Yeah. Maybe not for the entirety of the song, but here at the beginning, I feel like the narrator is not on Earth anymore. For sure. Yeah. I agree with that. And I think maybe the entity of love, like she's singing as the entity of endless love. Ooh, I like that. Thank you. Maybe not even as the specific person that came to her, but like as the force of mm, it. She's like, hi, it's me, Venus. Hi, it's me, love. <laughs> and if it seems I'm And if it seems I'm floating in the darkness, well, well, what? That's an incomplete thought. <laughs> I'm th- yeah, I'm thinking. So the person who's floating in the darkness, is that the person she's trying to reach? Or is that still the narrator's voice? Because now I'm thinking of someone who's lost in their grief. And again, maybe my reading of these lyrics is too colored by the story about Mark and his father, but that the narrator is reaching for the person who's floating in the darkness, who's overcome by this grief and loss, if that makes sense. Yes, I think that. And also that's a perfect parallel for Tori reaching through the darkness to find A, the words, B, the character that appeared to her, who's floating in the darkness, can't quite see her. But I think that's one full thought, this whole thought. And if it seems I'm floating in the darkness, well, I can't believe that I would keep you from flying. And if it seems I'm floating in the well, I can't. like the narrator while they're experiencing grief or loss still can't believe they would keep the other person from soaring what is that how do you take that yeah like the weight of my grief i'm having a hard time almost believing that i could be responsible that you're so in it with me that my grief is also kind of bringing you down somehow mm-hmm. does or that I make can't sense even see your, yeah totally or i can't even see your grief mm. or like i'm not thinking of your grief because i'm so in my own 
I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent, but it seems like when Tori has described the depths of loss and sadness and depression, it's always the ocean or water that brings her back. Oh, yeah. Whether it be, you know, Choir Girl, we have Pandora's Aquarium, A Thousand Oceans, and even much later on Ocean to Ocean, but specifically like oh. Metal Water Wood is the song that kind of kicked off that album. Metal Water Wood. And like brought her back from the edge. So it always seems to have a water what song was a it? water element. What song was it? Metal Water Wood. Is that how I'm oh, supposed metal. to say it? Oh, yeah. And I would cry a thousand miles. That's what it takes to see you And I would cry a thousand more if that's what it takes to sail you home. Simple, beautiful, honest, loving, endless, unconditional. That's how much she has to give, I guess? Yeah. What if it took 1,001 oceans? That's a bridge too far. Yeah. <laughs> I'm aware what the rules are, but you know that I will run. I'm aware what the rules are. But you know that I will run. There's clearly a sign posted that says no running. I'm aware what the rules are. What does that mean? Maybe this idea of like the separation between the living and the non-living. Oh, okay. But it's like, no, I'm going to find a way to reach you anyway. I like that. Because she then says, even though I know what the rules are, you know that I will run. You know that I will follow you. Mm -hmm. I will transcend space (laughs) and time to find you. In this life and the next, Mm -hmm. I love it. And if there's a way to find you, I will find you. I will find you. And this must be the map section where she was like hunting locations. You know that I wish you find you. Over Silbury Hill. Over Silbury Hill. Silbury Hill is a prehistoric artificial chalk mound near Avebury in the English county of Wiltshire. It is part of the Stonehenge, Avebury, and Associated Sites UNESCO World Heritage Site. At 39.3 meters, or 129 feet high, it is the tallest prehistoric man-made mound in Europe and one of the largest in the world, similar in volume to contemporary Egyptian pyramids. Wow. Hmm. And it's man-made. Silbury Hill is part of the complex of Neolithic monuments around Avebury, which includes the Avebury Ring and the West Kennet Long Barrow. Its original purpose is still debated. It's so that people can find each other over Silbury Hill. Debate over. Debate over, exactly. They obviously haven't heard to Venus and Beck. <laughs> its original purpose is still debated. Several other important Neolithic monuments in Wiltshire in the care of English heritage, including the large henges at Marden and Stonehenge, may be culturally or functionally related to Avebury and Silbury. Silbury Hill. Should we go there? <gasps> should we go there on tour? Should I organize a Silbury Hill outing? You should. Oh, I should. But Wait, don't do it without me. It? Don't do it without me. We have like our list of Tory sites to see. Well, then you got to get somewhere. You got to leave Saratoga again. You gotta yeah, leave Saratoga, David. You're right. I was just talking about how I don't want to get on another flight for a very long time. I'm out. Send me a picture. Okay. You tried. You thought about it. Mm. It is only an hour and 45 minutes from London to Silbury Hill. So if anybody that's going on tour wants to take that day off and go to Silbury Hill with me, I mean, I might or might not. <laughs> I'm not committing right now. But that would be fun. It might be fun, Journey. 
Don't you think? I do. I'm really questioning your commitment, though. Why? You're like, Tori will cry a thousand oceans. She'll run through the solar field. And you're like, an hour and 45. I don't know. Well, I have a very busy schedule. I know. Plus, like, the conversion rate, the currency rate. Right. There's a lot of factors to consider. The miles to kilometers. Who knows what I'm getting myself into? Galactic reference. Through the solar field, what do you think of when you think of the solar field? Just like black, empty space? Stars? Actually, no, because I, you know, think of the sun. So I always imagine it being like blindingly bright and giving me skin cancer. Really? Yeah. I think of just black, empty space. Maybe I'm wrong. It's like a vacuum around the sun or something. Well, turns out solar field means any arrangement or configuration of devices and related accessories whose purpose is to convert energy or forces generated by the sun into electricity. (laughs) A solar field. I just think of like the vast expanse of blackness and stars. Okay. That's what I think of. I'm shocked that it's not. It's like a void. That's what you think of. Yeah. That's what I think of, like a big black hole, but with stars. Is it like the river Styx almost to you? Like that's where the souls cross? No, it doesn't hold any like metaphorical meaning like that. It's just the biggest, most empty, vast space you could think of that someone would cross to find the person that they love. It's like, it's like the most that you could possibly do okay that's why it's and it's also almost infinite because it's space and space is infinite because we know so so little about it relatively what about time time's a loop david mm. everybody knows that yeah it's not linear that's for sure time is a loop david everybody knows that <laughs> it's not linear that's for sure time is a loop david everybody knows that and if I find you will you still And if I find you, will you still remember playing at trains? What does that mean? When we reunite kind of in the afterlife, whatever happens, wherever souls go, as Tori would say, maybe, will we remember who we were to each other in our last life? Will we remember what we did when we were kids or when you were a child and I was the parent, maybe? Oh, yeah. It is very parental here, right? I think so. Yeah, I agree. Playing at trains. Playing at trains meaning... Like playing with trains, right? Like Like a train set or something. Yeah, that's what it evokes to me too. Mm -hmm. Some lyric sites have playing at the trains, but no, it's like playing at trains. Yeah. Or does this little blue ball just fade away? How do you take that? Um... Are we still connected to what's going on on Earth when we die? Like, are we still concerned about watching over the people that we loved? Or do we go on to other things? Does our human experience just kind of fade away is what I take from that. Obviously, you're right. Obviously, the blue ball is Earth and Mm -hmm. the human experience, obviously. But I've never thought of Earth until today, till right now. (laughs) 
I've never. It's never occurred to me that the blue ball is Earth. Really? <laughs> so I'm not kidding. Uh, I have another bombshell for you. Venus is the goddess of love. No, how embarrassing. I still played that child metaphor in my mind, the playing at trains, the blue ball. That makes sense to me. Like you were yeah, thinking I, of, yeah. Ne- yeah, it never occurred to me that the blue ball was Earth. I don't think that's embarrassing. What does it look like, though, this orbital ball? What is it look like? Yeah, I'm so curious as to what happens when you die. <laughs> you I are? Really am. Absolutely. <laughs> Not like, I don't want to feel pain. Nobody wants to feel pain. Yeah, that's what the fear of, well, I don't know. For me, the fear of, if there's any fear of death, it's about that it's going to be painful as it's happening. Yeah. I'm not necessarily yeah. worried about what comes after, but I guess some people are. Yeah, I'm scared of that part, for sure. Like, I've stubbed my toe. I broke my, I didn't break them, <laughs> but I, what? <laughs> I broke my toe in 2021, and then I... What is funny? What's funny? (laughs) Go on. I broke my toe in 2021, and I hurt both of my knees in 2022 in July, and the pain, the blinding pain that I felt in both instances, like, that's as much as I can take. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm I'm laughing because I knew what you were going to say, but I'm also laughing at what I think a lot of us have a tendency. You kind of pull it together when there's like a major injury or illness. But if you stub your toe or you get a paper cut, you like want to be a baby about it. You're like, this is the worst thing that ever happened. So I think you're going to be fine. Wow. Is where I'm going. I think I think you're going to be fine. You'll be you're ready to die. Not in a, <laughs> not in a dismiss. You're up to the challenge, Eve. Yeah, you can die. Go it's ahead. not going to be die. like a little stub toe situation. Like when you get fully decapitated in a horrible accident. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, God! I only hope it happens that fast. Like I don't feel. I don't think that you would feel that. It would be psychological fear of leading up fast. to that. Yes, mm-hmm. but anyway, I want to talk about that. It's freaking me out. All right, I'm sorry, but I'm so curious about what happens after. And like, do you see the Earth? I mean, there are reports, been reports from people who have seen the light and whatever, and like had to come back. Like all of that stuff very much interests me. Like, what happens when you die? Me too. I don't know how it couldn't. Anyone who says they're not fascinated by it is lying. Yeah, or Christian. <laughs> yeah, b- well, because they know, I guess, or they think they know what's gonna happen yeah like i'm gonna meet jesus i had another question about that i'm sorry before we move on go ahead do you want to be reincarnated i don't want or not want i can't i have no thoughts on oh my god what you want is not to want (laughs) exactly what i want is not to want (laughs) jasmine what is mine i think i have no choice over it i think that we are all i think that we do go into other forms absolutely what do you mean you have no choice over it i think that's just how it works i think that we're here now learning something here and now and then we'll be there and then learning something there and then and there's also multiple versions of us floating around simultaneously as well higher vibing versions lower vibing versions matter and energy shifts at any time that's what i think matter and energy shifts all the time and reincarnation like the simple like the idea of being reincarnated is such a simple thought like a simple variation on a complex thought that yes i do think uh, like basically yes i do believe in reincarnation i don't believe i think i I believe in a journey of souls more what's the difference the difference is that that your soul is learning something along the way and there is a journey that you're taking your soul is taking reincarnation means like oh i just became this or in my opinion it's like not as rife with meaning necessarily so it's yeah okay so it's more than just being like tossed in the cosmic recycle bin yeah 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 yeah. exactly okay i get it you know 
but I'm just wondering, like, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a very simple question. And I guess that's what I was trying to do. And I'm sorry if this oh. isn't like <laughs> an interesting enough question for you, but I, <laughs> but like from where you sit now, do you think that you would be interested in another trip to earth? Another like all expenses paid trip to earth. If you're Hell like, yeah. if like you die, you're sitting in the cosmic waiting room and like you're yeah. playing your harp and they were like, Eve, you want to go back? You'd be like, if yeah, I could, no problem. Oh, I would go back right now. You would there are some things i would love to have done different <laughs> yes i would go back right now well yeah but you know that you get like the through the portal amnesia and you're not going to be like well i'm going to like do things differently this time because you're not going to remember i love the human experience i think that humans are cute i think that we're adorable my mind is blown yeah. by this why i mean i have a lot of respect and admiration for you period but especially after you hearing you say that i wouldn't necessarily say my life has been super hard but i'm still like no thank you if i can just eat cake in heaven i would prefer to do that please (laughs) i don't want to do this again what if there was no cake wait a second there's no cake in heaven i don't even like cake that much i don't know why i'm focusing on cake but like whatever (sighs) whatever i choose to eat whatever the manna of heaven is i hope it's not actually manna but like whatever my coke zero and fries is that's what it is in heaven i just want to be eating that and not have to like come back to that might be a more elevated thought than mine because like i'm Maybe mine's coming a little from like, I don't know what the alternative is to a human experience, but I feel like there's so many things that I didn't get to do just because of where I come from and who I like, what body I was born into and like what life I was born into. Like there's so many other experiences out there that seem fun and interesting, Mm. you know? Okay, well, I'm putting in my cosmic request now, and I will support you in doing the same. If you want to get reincarnated, that sounds wonderful. I would like to be your cosmic cheerleader, cheering you on and offering any kind of like spiritual help and support that I can from beyond, but I don't want to come back to Earth, okay? (laughs) Fine. (laughs) That's between you and your soul guide. Unless we can actually come back looking like the Heart of Gold twins. That would be fun. That I will opt into. But other than that, no thank you. I would. I would do it in a heartbeat. In a Heart of Gold beat. (laughs) You would. I'm like really astounded by this. Why? Because I've had a rough two years. No, I just don't want to do it again. (laughs) And like I said, I'm not here to claim that like my life has been unnecessarily difficult or anything like that. I'm just like, no. (laughs) I would do it. I would do it all over again. I would do everything all over again. I would do this episode all over again. I would do this season. Well, we're way off topic now, so we're probably going to have to. This is all going to end up on the cutting room floor. God. Silberry Hill through the solar field, you know that I will follow you. Just reiterating the strength of the love and the endlessness of the love, right? Yeah. I'm aware what the rules are, but you know that I run. You know that I will you. I'm aware what the rules are, but you know that I will run. You know that I will follow you. Into the hereafter, yeah. To the hereafter, to the thereafter, <laughs> to the never was after. These tears I've cried, I cried a thousand oceans. These tears I've cried, I've cried a thousand oceans. Um, so, I mean, essentially, it's a bunch of repetition, and lyrically, it's one of her more simple lyrics, I think. So, 
Mm-hmm. It sure is. That's what it takes to sail you home. That's what it takes to sail you home. Sail you home. Sail you home. That's how she ends this wonderful album. Mm-hmm. That I would do anything that it takes to bring you back to me. How can you not love it? I love it. I'm glad. Thanks. I love that journey for you. Do you pack a lunch to go through the solar fields? Um, I think it would just get like obliterated. Oh, that's true. I like load up first before any long trip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm carbo loading for a vacation I haven't even planned yet. Now that's how far <laughs> in advance I prepare. I'm like eating a bowl of pasta just in case I decide to drive to Albany in a week. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite lyrical moment? Um, I think it is just that little blue ball just fade away. I wonder that too. Are we like on to bigger and better things or are we really still kind of focused on what's going on on earth, especially if we have loved ones that we've left behind or is that journey of the soul that you spoke of? Is that just like completely, I don't even know if I should say future focus since arguably there's no future because time is not linear, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Do we retain any aspect of our humanity or the human experience that we had on earth? I love that. How about you? I love that because we're, there's no way of knowing, you know. And we bet, well, we'd better fucking know after we die. Jesus Christ, calm down. I've said this before and I'm sorry. Don't threaten me. I get, I'm not threatening you. I'm threatening like the gatekeepers of the universe (laughs) or the almighty, whoever. Like, I'm not afraid, but like, don't withhold answers from me when I die. And I get so mad at a sixth sense style situation like if i'm not even clear that i'm dead when i die like this is fucking bullshit i'm gonna be so mad i'm mad now and it hasn't even happened yet anyway um (laughs) the christian god can sit over there and we can have a chat and he can do stuff i can't do because i'm just a podcast host yeah jesus is not like at a nirvana show or something yeah anyway my favorite lyrical moment personally is probably through the solar field because I really love, even though I'm wrong on what the solar field was, I guess it's something different than I thought it was. I, I felt like the solar field was the entire universe and the unknown, and I love that imagery of that. Mm-hmm. Through the solar field, over Silbury Hill, through the solar field. I love that line. It's very pleasing to the ear, too, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It really is. What's your favorite vocal moment? I don't know. Probably the final sail you home. Mm-hmm. Which, like, this journey is ongoing, right? There's no resolve. There's no conclusion. She's, yeah, still, yeah, yeah. she's still out there. Yeah. Yeah, she just passed by for a moment. Right. Yeah. Maybe I'm just passing you by, bitch. Oh. What's your favorite vocal moment? I like how the whole song, she utilizes breath to create an extra syllable when she needs it. Uh-huh. Like little. Yeah, these tears I've cried, I've cried. <laughs> I just love it. I love her 1000. Don't say that. That's embarrassing. <laughs> you should be embarrassed. I just love how much you I hate wouldn't want to come back to earth either after doing that. Mm. Should we listen to Yanta? No, we shouldn't. Okay. All right, now we should. Again, not unlike China. Oh, yeah, good point.
can't ever say that A Thousand Oceans has been confusing melodically or like that I haven't ever really heard the piano because I feel like I have. Like the piano's front and center on this song. Mm -hmm. And so now this is a surprise to me, but when you strip out the lyrics, it's very, very sad. I feel very sad. It's almost like funeral processions. I was thinking that too. There's something like processional about it, yeah. Do you think the sadness is more obvious without the vocal? Yeah. Hmm. Or is it a different kind of sadness? There is a funeral quality to it. I can't quite put my finger on it. Why or what like it's referencing. kind of hymn-like or even just churchy it kind of sounds like church music which makes sense this part right here that just that ding 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 that does feel very hymn-like i think i want this song played at my funeral and i want everyone to commit to crying a thousand oceans to sail me home (laughs) you want the instrumental version or do you want us to sing um the instrumental version no offense and then after you can sing a cappella. Beautiful. (sighs) My favorite musical moment is the whole song. I think that it is so sad, and I love that that is sort of illustrated when you pull out the lyrics. Classic Efren, even in death, the whole song. Classic (laughs) Shunyer. The whole song. What is yours? I think it is the change into the ending, Sail You Home. I don't know. It's gorgeous, all of it. All of it's gorgeous. And if you like what Yanta does, follow Yanta at patreon.com slash Yanta. Throw a few bucks his way, please. If you really love sheet music, you can head over to figuratoryout.com. That's our friend Paul Roy's website. He has compiled over 20 years of sheet music, all different kinds of sheet music. You like live sheet music? He's got it. You like cover sheet music? He's got it. Figuratoryout.com. You have to be a member to get behind the wall to get the music, but it's free to be a member. What kind of sheet music you like, huh? I like it all. Oh my God, you would. 
It's time to play a cover of A Thousand Oceans. This one is by Kirsten Froschizer. I found it on YouTube. I love it. We link to it in our show notes at songsoftoramus.com. Go give her a subscribe and a like. I think she killed it. And we'll be right back with Erin Marie, our final super fan of the season, who's got a great interpretation of this song. And if I Here we have our final super fan of the Venus season. It's Roller Derby royalty and a sister from the 505. It's Erin Marie. Hi, Erin Marie. Hi, Eve. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so glad we're making this happen. You are the final super fan. How does that make you feel? Pretty amazing. I love this album so much. Um, It holds a special place in my heart. For sure. <laughs> we refused to release this episode without you. Do you know that? Oh, David put his foot down. I put my foot down. I said, get your foot <laughs> off me. My foot was here first. Yes. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate you saving the spot for me. I'm honored. Okay. So tell us how you discovered Tori. Tell your Tori story. Give the people the knowledge. Oh, man. I discovered Tori Amos right before Pele came out. Was my best friend at the time, Cherish, she introduced me to her and we got to go see her in 96 for the Pele tour. And the first time I saw her was in Tulsa. And um, she did the foodgasm situation. Uh-huh. That was awesome. <laughs> Get more mayonnaise. And then I saw her again, of course, several times after that. I saw the 98 plug tour. And then I saw her for the um, the Scarlet's Walk tour in Albuquerque. Yeah. yeah. And can you believe it's been a little over 20 years since 20 that years. happened? Yeah. I can't. And then that tour was the last time I'd seen. And then life went crazy. And then, um, and then I finally got to see her last year. And then at the San Antonio show was the first. Okay. So you love A Thousand Oceans. How did that first come into your life? Did you love it from the beginning? Were you a Venus stan? Yeah. From the very second I heard that album, I remember buying it. I remember going straight to my room and closing the door and laying on the bed. I'm like around 19. I was pregnant. I was fresh out of high school. I'd been married for like two years already. I kind of started my life kind of quick. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then, um, I was laying there and I was, I was listening to this album and I heard 
a thousand oceans as I was like trying to feel for my baby in my stomach when I was like about two months, three months pregnant, you know, and I remember the song coming on and it really kind of touching my heart a lot and kind of giving me that like kind of almost like a, a fear of, of losing the baby that I didn't even know, like a love for it that I didn't, you know, know I had. And then hearing this song, I was attached to this song to, you know, her loss of a child. And, um, and when I first heard it, that's what I connected it to with, with, with it at first. And just kind of having that fear of loss even before you had that baby, you know. So you hadn't heard it on the radio before you bought the album? I think I maybe had heard it, but I didn't really apply it to that because like I said I I was kind of freshly pregnant <laughs> and I, I don't even know if I was like I was able to even feel for it yet you know I hadn't made that connection with with the baby yet you know what I mean yeah totally that was, like my first connection with it like trying to find it being like oh man like I hope nothing bad happens to it I hope I can keep it I hope it's still you know it's good, you know. Yeah, yeah, and everything went well, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, I was my team scared about it, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. So, did that strengthen your connection to Tori, or did Tori strengthen your connection to the song? Like, did you've been with Tori, even though you didn't tour for nineteen years, you still were there with I the music, still right? Was, I every album I got immediately, I still followed along with what was going on. I just didn't get to actually go on tour. Yeah, I, I loved you know every single one of her albums, and always been a huge fan. I want to know what your singular favorite lyrical moment is. Oh, this song. Okay, well, let's see. (laughs) Yeah, and dive into some of the, like, lyrical meaning for us. Like, what really hits you? Okay, well, for for me, the way I kind of interpreted how she was feeling and then how I kind of thought that she was, what the song meant was, you know, with the first line where she talks about crying a thousand oceans, you know, I kind of felt like that was like, you know, of course, endless sorrow and never healing grief. You know, it feels like I'm floating into the darkness. Of course, that's, she's in deep depression, you know, and like the loss and kind of being in a fog of sadness and, and not really being present. And um, I think it's cut, that kind of sprang from the idea that she really can't believe she can keep that baby from flying, you know, and mm-hmm. like, try, you know, and kind of goes back to Spark where, you know, can't keep the, the baby alive, you know. Yeah. And then, you know, I would cry a thousand more just to bring you home, you know, I'd do anything to get the baby back or, or to get that lost one back. And um, it's kind of like this is a real spacey album. So it's like a trip through space and time, you know, like she has that physical reference over Silberry Hill, a place where she has to go with Mark, you know, and then through the solar field, which means, you know, onward and up and to nothingness and to everything, you know, like where she would go to find that baby again, you know, that's the soul or the spirit or the spark that, she lost and then she's like of course she brings it back down and she's like I'm aware of the what the rules are you know but you know that I would run and I would follow you over that solar field I would follow you anywhere so it's like a solar journey you know that she's in in this song and then and then if she found that soul of that spirit like would they remember that she was mom you know yeah um, well you to remember and then, then of course, the playing at trains. This kind of made me think automatically, kind of like not playing, which but playing at trains, like throwing yourself in front of a train, like thoughts of suicide or self harm. Oh, interesting. Just kind of having like too much pain to live without, you know. And then it's or or does that little blue ball, like that sadness or depression, does that fade away? Does that go away? Does it ever get any better? Is it worth going through that feeling of loss that she's going through right now? 
I have to tell you, Erin Marie, only today as we're talking about this song and now as I'm talking to you, has it occurred to me that this might be very personal to her about her own loss, you know? Yeah. It, I don't know why it's I've never seen that in the words. It's very clear because it's just it's about grief, it's about loss, and it never occurred to me that this might be about her like the baby. Yeah, I always related it to the baby. I guess because I related it to the baby, uh, my own personal right. baby, like kind of related it to to that and also when I watched the video when I first saw it it was like you know she was kind of in this own kind of like glass womb kind of being separated from everyone and being judged by all these people and especially all this violence going around her and and like chaos and she's kind of separated like kind of like being in that you know that that state of sadness where you know the darkness you know she's almost even gotten like she almost got hit by like a brick that's flying through yeah the idea of like chance, like a uh, random selection, you know, and, and, and chance, or is it more of like, so there really isn't a plan, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. for what's going on. And, and It's interesting because a lot of the 98 press too was about like the randomness of it all. Like, don't tell me that everything happens for a reason. You know, yeah. you, there's, you can't say that. There's no, there's no proof yeah. of that. Exactly. Okay, where can people find you online? Tell people where to find you and where they can look at your roller derby adventures. Oh, goodness. Well, I have an Instagram. It's just Erin Marie, A-A-R-O-N-M-A-R-I-E. Amazing. <laughs> Follow Erin Marie on Instagram, at Erin Marie. And that was it. You were the final super fan for Yay. the Venus season. Now it's time for us to find our own Luna Riviera. All right, let's do it. Me and you, Eve, let's get it. Let's do it. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Of course, there's so much more to that interview, which you can find on our Patreon feed, patreon.com slash Amos. to me that a thousand oceans she would cry a thousand oceans because an ocean is not a volume you know it's not like you can measure it really you don't think so you can't say like i would cry eight ounces of tears you can measure that and i would cry a thousand cups because then that's you know you could measure that how much is a volume like what's the volume of an ocean i don't know but it's not (laughs) self-generating as we speak and constantly shifting because the ice caps are melting i mean if you wanted to argue that you could empty the ocean and fill a giant container with it you probably could
I'm glad you said that, David, because I have done the calculations for how much water would be in a thousand oceans. Do you want to hear this? I sure do. Are you the first person who's ever done the math? I can't confirm that I'm the first ever, but I'm definitely the first of us. You ready? I'm ready. According to Google.com, there is 352 quintillion gallons of water in each ocean. That's 352 quintillion. So if you think of a million, like if you were to count a million seconds, that would be 11 days. A million seconds is 11 days. A billion seconds is 31 years. Do you see the difference there? Oh my God. Yeah. Staggering. Like a million seconds is 11 days. A billion seconds is 31 years. So this is why we hate the billionaires. But anyway, 352 quintillion, it goes thousand, million, billion, trillion, quadrillion, quintillion gallons of water in one single ocean. So knowing that, you multiply by a thousand, because you know she she would cry a thousand oceans, not one thousand, a thousand. And the calculator told me it was three point five two e minus twenty three, which I have no idea what that means. Your calculator so just I blew put- up and started smoking at that point, right? <laughs> yeah. It says to get the answer to 3.52e minus 23 as a decimal, we multiply 3.52 by 10 to the power of negative 23. 3.52e minus 23 equals 3.52 times 10 to the power of negative 23 equals 0.000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000
I don't know, but that is a lot of power that you have with that tear in your hand for sure. Okay. Well, <laughs> that's not the answer. I tried to do the calculations though, but let's just say let's just settle and say it would take a long time to cry that. I guess, days. and I don't want to be chasing you around with a milk carton and holding it under your eye, waiting for all this to pile up. Why not? You don't love me? I don't want to be doing that in my afterlife, though. Come on. <laughs> what else you got to do? You ain't planning to come back to Earth. And just so I'm understanding this correctly, and for the sake of real accuracy, when Tori says an ocean or a thousand oceans, is an ocean like the cumulative combined ocean water on Earth? Or is it like, could be the Pacific Ocean, could be the Atlantic? Like, what does she mean? I think she is talking about oceans that we don't even know about. Oh my God, there's oceans we don't yeah. know about? Yeah, I think she's saying oceans I've yet to discover. Ooh. I would cry them. Oceans on Venus, behind a woman's heart. Unseen oceans. Two oceans. 3.5267E plus 23, whatever that means, is how many <laughs> gallons are in a thousand oceans? Oh my God, her grief broke your calculator. It's wild. Speaking of grief, who would play A Thousand Oceans in the movie of Tavina Sebeck? I always forget we're going to do this and that I'm like delighted by the question every time. Oh. Would it be bad if I said Gloria Stewart? From Titanic? From Titanic, yes. I mean, many other things too, but I guess if you want to reduce her career to one movie. Her most popular movie. I'm sure she's very happy to be known for that movie. I'm sure she's very rich. Well, she's dead, so. Oh, I'm sure she was very rich. <laughs> and happy. Why? Because I just feel like she would cry a thousand oceans and toss a thousand necklaces into a thousand oceans if that's what it takes. I feel like this character needs to be cast as older. I agree. I'm not pulling from my usual stable of actresses, no, I so. I would cast Crystal Chappelle from Days of Our Lives because, I don't know, there's something so warm and caring about her hmm. that I feel like she could traverse time and space as she is now. And this is like the physical representation, but inside she's thousands of years old and she's crying a thousand oceans. Thank and like God. She would, she would sail you home. And she's a good crier. If you're going to call someone an old soul, that's the way to phrase it. That sounds a little bit better than inside she's thousands of years old. <laughs> <laughs> she Let's is. just say she's an old soul. She's got the wisdom of a thousand lifetimes. Uh-huh. Either her or Ellen Burstyn. Either or. Because I do agree with you that this character needs to be old. World weary. So is it Ellen Burstyn, like in Requiem for a Dream? Yeah. Before the drugs. Sure. Just the sadness, not the drug element. I guess you could say we have an all-star cast for our film of Tavina Sembach. Should we read them? Maybe not right this second, but we compile them at some point and read the cast so we can hear what they sound like all together. Yeah, let's still read through. Best ensemble. We could do that on the wrap-up, probably. Why don't we watch the video, David, and okay. then we'll talk to Eric Eve again. Sounds good. Before we hit the video, this is from thedent.com. Some details about the video from Tori File John. He said, I work as a key grip here in Los Angeles. All my friends know that I'm a big Tori fan. Well, a director of photography friend of mine called me on Sunday to tell me he was shooting a video of Tori downtown in L.A. on Monday and Tuesday, August 9th and 10th, 1999. I had to work on something else those days, but fortunately, I was able to get out of work early enough on Tuesday to catch a few hours of shooting, and I finally got to meet and chat with her. I've been to over 20 shows. I'm lucky enough where I make enough money to pay for great seats but with my schedule i don't have the time to hang out when she comes and goes from rehearsal or after the show so even though i traveled around the states to see her show i was never actually able to meet her 
I did yesterday, briefly. I just pretty much told her the above story and that I was glad to finally meet her. The video is of Tori singing in a glass booth like a department store window display while people and the world pass outside. People walk by and stare, stop and kiss, and at one point there's a small riot outside. From what I saw on the monitor, it reminded me of Jupiter. The director was Eric Ifigen and it was shot by my friend Toby Irwin. And then Diane Cano goes on to say, I just wanted to let you know that a friend of mine, Anna, was one of the characters in the new Tory video made this past week. She basically said the same things that John, the grip, told you earlier. Anna walks by the glass booth and she also kisses a girl. Then she ends up staring at Tori towards the end. The video was shot in a downtown LA parking lot. She commented that Tori was really sweet and friendly. So let's roll that beautiful T footage. If you want to watch the video with us, go ahead and sync it up now and press play in three, two, one, play. This video was filmed in LA as a response to the riots. I was trying to hold a space in this video, a space of calm. I have not seen this video for a very long time. In my mind, I'm not caged. But it has been deemed that I should be kept away from people, whoever I am. I love the outfit. I love her hair. She looks so good in black. Always surprises me how good she looks in black. There's all the people starting to gather. What a bunch of gawkers. And it sounds kind of funny, but I began to see that the earth, in a way, as a creature, is very separate from our life. I bet I could find this location. Probably. <laughs> well, you know who to ask. Yeah, these buildings look very familiar. Is that my is that my home building? Is that where I live? That might be where I live. That's actually, oh, it's starting to freak me out. That might be actually my house. But sometimes we can see her, the crazies. The broken hearted. The artists. What were your thoughts on this video when it came out? I'm trying to remember the first time I saw it. I must have watched it online or something. Performers from other countries that express their emotions through dance. I think I was already feeling like I was too old at this point to stay up to watch like 120 minutes or whatever to catch Stop this it. video at two in the morning. I love this video. I think it's so beautifully shot. Because people really took their roles on under their skin. And I think people were really able to play out how they felt. Everybody was local, so they all lived through the riots. Perfect expression of the song, too. So simple, yet so complex. I say good expression of the song because it's like these people flipping through, like flipping through these people is like traveling space and time, and everybody has that longing. What you've tucked behind your heart to survive something like the riots. division that comes between lovers 
I'm wondering if she's in kind of that, you know, in between space and the afterlife. And this kind of captures a spirit who's watching what's going on on Earth without being able to intervene or really do anything about it. This shot right here with her with like the cloak mm-hmm. definitely lends credence to your theory. It's like the afterlife in some way. And then the nuns. If you think about the judgment that some women have against like, no, other No, she's women. burning in hell. Come on, we gotta go. <laughs> kind of, yeah. There is no compassion. And this family that seemed to have walked out of the 50s. Well, maybe these figures are all dead. Maybe they're, like, you know, kind of meeting oh, at the cosmic crossroads from different points in time. We don't know. I love that. That's so beautiful. I didn't see a single tear, you know? We'll be right back with Eric Efrigan, and I'll surely bring that up, David. Posted the really deep thoughts, October 2nd, 1999, by Allie. Regarding the 1,000 Oceans video, I am so disappointed with the way these videos are being released. Is anyone with me? What a shit show. You can't play them until you give all your information to Atlantic Records, and even then, you still have to connect to the internet. Every time! Every time you want to play the videos that are on the CD. Enhanced CD, my ass. I encourage everyone to enter fake names and use a fake email such as webmaster at atlantic-records.com. Maybe if there's enough of us, this may or may not change the way the future videos are released. <laughs> Welcome to Y2K, baby! All right, I'm going to let you get back to music soon. I just want to ask you a couple of final things. I know um, the video for Bliss aired last night on 100 Minutes. That's uh, uh, There's going to be one for A Thousand Oceans as well, right? Yes, there's going to be two versions for A Thousand Oceans because, you know, there'll be the European version where the lesbians actually do kiss. And then there'll be the American version where... Digitally, someone will stand in front of the lesbians? Or, like in, no, the uh, lesbians. Okay. Don't worry. The lesbians, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take them to Europe. The French <laughs> will love them. They'll be fine. I just want those girls to know that sat there and made out with those cute little pink tongues for like 20 minutes. Poor Johnny, he missed it because he had to go talk to Arthur. No, yeah. Arthur actually saw and fell off his chair. I think he thought it was quite exciting. I think a kiss would be okay here. I think we're oh, I think we're John, adult enough. You know, <laughs> can't we? I hate to I hate to break it to you, but you have no really? idea. Are you kidding me? I'd like to welcome back to the show Eric Efrigan. Thank you so much for coming back and talking to us about a thousand oceans today. Hi. Hi. Always a pleasure. How, how have you been? Been so good. Oh. A long time. It's been it's been a minute, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm so fascinated by you as an artist and our conversation about Glory of the '80s, so great. Now you described during that conversation a thousand oceans that you could talk about it for hours, and we're here to let you do that. Like I want to hear 
all about how you came from concept to production. I want to hear all about it because it's one of my favorite music videos, not just of Tori, just of all time. And I remember watching it for the first time and it just struck me. It's a very emotional song. It's a very emotional video. So talk to us a little bit about how you got connected with Tori, how the first meeting went and the first conversation about the video. Uh, she's an amazing woman. As you know, she's she's fantastic to work with. And uh, the song was such a beautiful song. And I'm very much somebody that works around emotion. I mean, emotion is the center of my work normally. So it was very easy for me to come up with a, with a concept that could bring out the emotion of the song. And uh, I remember that um, I had this idea of putting her in a, in a glass box, basically. But in reality, you see you, the camera is almost all the time inside the box. So you see the life outside of the box from a point of view. And you get the sense of uh, being um, with her inside of that box. I remember when I when I first showed it to my daughter, she was very young, she was five years old, and she said she started crying because this lady, she cannot come out of uh, of the box and uh, and she was is someone gonna help her come out of this box and so he was talking the video was talking to an audience from five years old to 99 years old and that's why i love this video so much it's also in terms of my work as a filmmaker probably one of the best concepts i came up with because i could integrate the performance of an artist inside the concept you know a lot of time you see you see the artist sing and then you cut to a conceptual story that happens outside of that and you go back and forth but my aim on this one was to actually integrate the performance within the story hearing you describe it because we are inside the box and there's something so I have such an emotional response to it because I feel like such a loneliness coming from being watched by just crowds and, you know, everybody just kind of peering in, you know, for a moment or not peering at all or, you know, but just that loneliness, I think, is so strong because you are in the box with her. Exactly. And you know, you know what? I'll tell you a funny, a funny thing is I'm from France and I, um, you know, uh, Los Angeles at the time, well, I've been in Los Angeles for nine years. And I realized that most people in Los Angeles, they see life from inside their car. Mm-hmm. Because, some, you know, people are driving so much in L.A. And that was also one of the point of departure of my, of my thinking. You know, we are basically watching life from inside a cocoon, inside a, a glass box. And we go through life, we see life, we see the, you know, the bad neighborhood, the poor people, the rich people, and always inside this box. And we, we basically travel through life like that. But we never really get in touch with it. We never come out of our box to actually go and touch the people and speak to the people and connect with the people. And this is very specific to Los Angeles. Wow. You were living in Los Angeles at that time, right? Yeah, I was living for, I have been there for nine years. So I was, I was kind of one of them. I was one of the people who travel in the box all the time. I see. Yeah, and um, because it's such a, emotional song. I I wanted the people to feel the loneliness, but I also wanted to feel sometimes the connection across the glass. And there's there's one moment that I really love is when this 
young boy is being pushed by the police mm -hmm. against the glass and then she's connecting with him as he's being pulled by the police and that moment for me is such a wonderful moment yeah where she's literally has her hand up to the glass like right at his face she's caressing caressing her face through the glass yeah that to me is a metaphor for the impossibility of communicating you know in our society some way you are in your box and you touch but you're separated by this you know and basically you don't really you, you can't really connect with what's going gone outside wow so in in a way that's very conceptual and it, it could be an art concept that we could expand to to many other, other other things because by putting somebody inside a box you know we can create almost like a video installation or a show where we have on one side the whole world and the society and the violence and the pain and the beauty of it and on the other on the other end we have you know, the loneliness of some people, especially in Los Angeles, you feel that loneliness. You feel people isolated, you know. That's the thing, too, is that you're, you say that it can be this art concept, that whole idea, but the thing that you do so, so well and the thing that succeeds, I think, so much about this video is that it is this concept, but it is so human. Like, it feels so human, these moments. And her performance, first of all, outstanding. That comes from her because... She insisted to connect with the people. When she said, Eric, don't forget, I'm, I want, I'm okay to be inside the glass box, but I need to connect with the people. I want to feel them out. You have to come up with something where I can, you know, I can connect with those people. And uh, that, was the key, that was the key input that she had because that forced me to actually create much more of a connection that I would have done without her probably. Wow. When you brought her this concept, were there other things that she thought? Like what, what was the initial conversation like besides I have to connect with the people, which that's amazing. Were there other ideas or how did you collaborate? No, not really. I mean, that was, that was um, I mean, from 20, 22 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember, but probably we had long conversation because we spent a lot of time talking. But once, we, once she, had, she was inside the box, she... She was rocking. She was amazing. She was a, such an incredible performer, an incredible actress. Take us to that shoot day. So you shot in a parking lot. Is that correct? You shot in a parking lot in Los Angeles, downtown, where I live now. Do you remember like what area of downtown? <laughs> of course, I want to go scouting for it. Yeah, it's, um, it's a parking lot that's a little bit elevated on the street, one of the high street uh, of L.A. Uh -huh. And uh, we kind of recreated, uh, we actually change the, the floor to make it look like it's more of a street. We could own the parking lot. We don't have any, we didn't have to stop traffic or something like that. Got it. But we recreated the, the, because we had building behind, we could re easily recreate the vibe of a, of a street. So in my mind, she's inside a, a shop, basically. Yeah, she looks like she's in sort of a shop window, just sort of trapped there. And I love the play with perspective that you do, especially at the beginning where she's sort of like in the corner. Yeah, yeah. At the beginning, we, yeah, she's connecting with all kinds of people, looking at her, what she's doing inside. You know, let's get her out of this box and stuff like that. And then, little by little, time passes, and then she sees life continuing in front of her. 
So you have uh, little stories, a rendezvous, like a meeting between, uh, a date between a girl, a girlfriend, and boyfriend. Uh, you have uh, some uh, buto dancers that right. are dancing behind. And then it starts raining, it's nighttime, it's daytime. You know, it's basically the idea of time passing. And uh, I had this idea of, uh, of a riot, which I felt I wanted to do because I wanted to shoot it with, uh, with reflections. I wanted to use the reflection of the glass to show her in front and to show in reflection, to show the, the riot, the violence outside. I was in LA for the riots in LA. Yeah, she's quoted as saying in the commentary for this video that it was sort of inspired by that idea. And I mean, it was part of the fabric of LA at the time too. How did you shoot it? Now, did you shoot when you were shooting in the box? Were the people actually outside or was there a green screen involved? Or how did you accomplish like the inside outside feel? All for real. No. That's so good to hear. I love that. No special effect. That's amazing. All in camera or in camera, but with a lot of different angles. Camera inside the box, camera outside the box, looking inside with reflections. And also as a, as a filmmaker, I, I was also very exciting for me because I, I got to direct not only the acting of, of the people, but this giant riot, which was a, was a big production. Yeah. We had policemen fire people with, with hose and water, you know, a lot of extras. Lot of people. Uh, it's amazing in in America when you start doing ambitious things. It, it starts to all come together, you know. Yeah. It's very much of a epic music video, but very, very contained, but very epic at the same time. Yeah, and I love to hear that it was all in camera. Like that's so satisfying to hear that that was you know that it all happened that day. Was it one day? Was it two days? I think we shot in two in two days. Two days. One day and one night. How involved were you in the casting? Now, did you cast all the extras as well, or did you cast like the main people that were featured? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm always very involved in the casting. It's my one of my things. I love I love castings. We casted for faces. For we also I worked with uh, my old team. I have a I had a, at the time I had a team of really excellent people. Uh, Franck Chevalier was doing the the wardrobe, and he did an amazing job putting together, you know, for example, at the end, there is a family of African-American and the aspiration was a uh, feeling, you know, of, uh, of more of a 60s kind of, uh, of yeah. casting. I usually cast my own films. I mean, I always work with casting directors, but at the end of the day, I make all the decisions. Right. Yeah. Well, at the end, especially, you do feel like sort of you're transported back in time just with the costuming and just like that family coming out. And she has talked about being really affected that day by that actress, actually. But do you know that Meghan Markle's in the video? No. Prince Harry's wife, the Duchess of Sussex? I didn't know that. Yeah, you cast her in one of her very first like extra roles. Meghan Markle. Let yeah. Me take, let me take a look quickly. She's, I'll show you exactly where she is. Oh, yeah. She's one of the kissing girls, no? No, no, no. She's in the early, like right at the first crowd scene. Oh, yeah. She's one of the girls that uh, caresses the window and then... Yeah, on the left side, she's there. And she's Harry, Harry's... She's Harry's wife, yeah. (laughs) 
Wow. You can spot talent. (laughs) That's crazy. I know. It's wild. We found that out maybe three years ago. It was a big day in the community. I had no idea. (laughs) Yeah. That's amazing. What was your favorite part shooting wise? Now you, you said you shot day and night. You know, there's so many characters. Which character do you feel like you put yourself into the most? Uh, the young boy, we, you know, putting, being put against the window by the police. That's, that's me. That's you? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. For me, I feel so close to that character at the time. But uh, what I love about this video is also the fact that uh, the approach is very photographic. And uh, the inspiration is the New York School of Photography. I don't know if you know about this. The New York School from the 40s, you know, Louis Forer and uh, as many, uh, many very important photographers from the 40s in in New York that used to shoot the streets of New York, a lot of them with reflections in windows. And, you know, you could see life in New York in a very interesting, much more very metaphoric way, the New York School of Photography. I'm looking at this frame from the video at one minute and 50 seconds in where she's just sort of on her knees in the box and the riots unfolding out behind her. And it's just such an, you, you described it as epic. And I completely see that because you've got probably like two or three dozen extras in the background, at least in the, involved in a riot, the car, someone standing on the car, which is about to get turned over. I mean, it's, it's a big production. Yeah, the fight. I remember the guys that they were dressed as the cops. They were taking it very seriously. Like they wanted to get those people ass, you know, very badly. It, yeah. was, uh, it was funny. We, 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 it was well, an emulation of real life. Yeah. Looking back on it 23 years later, is there anything that you wish you had added or done differently? Or are you completely satisfied? For me, this is my best video ever. Great. I've made a few. But this is the one that's completely, uh, from beginning to the end, very well handled, very well directed. I did exactly what I wanted to do. It was produced in an amazing way by my producers, my American team producers. Uh, Gerard Cantor was one was a producer. The director of photography is named Toby Irwin. Mm-hmm. Was one of the, his first jobs, and it was just amazing, amazing to work with him. He became my DOP for many, many years after that. Uh, But now he's one of the best DPs in America. When you turn a video in, this is something I've never asked any music video director that I've talked to, but when you turn a music video in, is there, what's that process like turning it into the record company and what did they think about it? What did they say to you? I think they loved it. I don't remember. We didn't have any, we didn't get any changes, you know, many times they, they come back to you with changes. Oh, we need more of this, more of that. We don't like this guy. We don't, you know. But uh, that was a very, very easy process. Uh, and she was behind it. And I was making sure that she was uh, featured enough in the video so there's, there would be no discussion. Because I wanted the concept to be, you know, once you link the performance with the concept, it's very easy because uh, there's no question. Usually the, the record company comes back and say, we want to see more band. Oh, I see. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's basically, they want the performance and they don't give a shit about the rest of the stuff. Right. You know? on, that, on that one, no such a thing. Very, very smooth process. 
Eric, thank you so much for talking on our show. You can follow Eric on Instagram at Eric Efergen. We'll, of course, link to it in our show notes at songsoftoriamus.com. He's an artist, a filmmaker, a human being, and a serial dreamer. And we've loved talking to you and getting into your mind today about A Thousand Oceans. Thank you so much. Thank you, Efrain. Bye. Bye-bye. Of course, you can head over to patreon.com slash songs of Tori Amos for the full unedited version of that interview, which is really fantastic. Here's a cover of A Thousand Oceans by Daniel Kelly. We'll link to this in our show notes, songsoftoriamus.com, and we'll be right back with the live lounge. I'm aware what the rules are, but you know that I will run, you know that I will follow. Silvery hill through the solar fields, you know that I will follow you. And if I find you, will you still remember? Thank you. I thought it best to hold this episode of The Lounge in a pool. Not in a glass box. That would have been good, too. No, I like your choice. Yeah, I wanted to transform The Lounge into a giant infinity pool. We're bobbing around in inner tubes recording this with drinks with umbrellas in them. I like your fetch bathing costume. You've got it. It's a one-piece flannel. Gorgeous flannel. Goes to the ankles. (laughs) Beautiful. Uh Uh-huh. Tori Amos has performed A Thousand Oceans a total of 89 times in her career on tour proper. And that does not count the additional 890 times she performed it on television. Seriously, and the radio. Yes. She really promoted Venus with this song a lot. And it was a really great track, I think, to do so. It was really accessible for people. It resulted in a bunch of really great television performances. And we'll go through some of those here. The first of those that we're going to start with is from August 16th, 1999, way before the album came out, before the tour even started. You heard a little bit of her talking with John Norris from Live and Unrehearsed. I'm going to play the rest of their conversation right here. Are you kidding me? This song, I don't know if you guys have heard A Thousand Oceans, but it's a beautiful, beautiful song. I heard it, well, I heard all the songs over the weekend, but that one in particular I love, so. Can you play for me? I'd love for you to play it. Do you guys okay, love me? Well, I don't oh, know. My I've God. never played it before. Really? Marcel, just sling something up, yeah. That'd this be awesome. This is unplanned, but, you know. That would so. be amazing. I'm going to get out of the way. 
next one we're going to play is Jay Leno on September 21st, 1999, the day the album came out in the United States, and we're going to address the controversy. Or create one. there she says i wish i could do it again and he says you can and he does they interview and then he does let her do it again and the version that we see in the show is the second time that she did it apparently her voice cracked the very first time and that never aired unless someone has any different memories i don't think it aired in the east coast when she performed the song the second time they cut that in and that was the performance Mm -hmm. that they aired in all markets but what a sweetheart for Jay Leno to do that. You know, it really does take a lot to go back and record again. They do treat these shows as live shows. Right. Know? I mean, they're like delayed by a few hours, but they're kind of beamed to the East Coast for air in a few hours, right? Yeah, exactly. And so it takes it does take a, a lot to edit. There's not really an editing process. Mm-hmm. So good for him for letting her do that. And she'd never, to my knowledge, asked for that before or since on any show. So you know that it was important to her. But that was the day the album came out. On the Five and a Half Weeks tour, she did this song two times. This is the first time she did it, August 28th, 1999 in Holmdel. I've never done this before. My light man is gone. Look at me, it was funny on this. Hang on. Anyway, um, I just want to do this. I've never done this before. It's off a new record. Yeah. What'd you think? Shocking that it was not shocking. Maybe that's an overstatement. It was surprising that she chose to perform it solo and that this didn't have a band arrangement at that time. I think it's often been performed with the band when she has the band. And it would make sense to me as like a transitional song out of the solo songs. And because this was a single and, you know, the final track on this album, I would have expected it to have been played a lot and to have been worked up. So, yeah, I'm just kind of surprised by that. And also because she does appear on Leno with a band. Yes. I think maybe it's one of the songs that kind of got overlooked in sound checks and stuff in favor of like the other harder songs to work up maybe. Maybe the other songs needed more time so they never really got a chance to play it in sound check. So mm-hmm. it was easier to do it solo on the tour. But of course they rehearsed a bunch for Jay Leno. I think they have a few hours to rehearse during the day, right? I would think so, yeah. This is one of those songs, though, that can go back and forth from solo to band. Effortlessly, day to night. She performed this song four times onto Dallas and back. And we're going to play this September 30th, 1999 in Houston, Texas.
song that really doesn't change too much. Nor should it. Yeah, nor should it. Yeah. Those songs that she talks about getting transmissions from outside forces don't usually change that often, right? Ooh, like, that's a good point. Yeah. When, like, Marianne kind of plucks down into her lap, she doesn't really change it. Right? Why do you think that is? Do you think she feels less ownership of those songs so she doesn't want to mess with them too much? Or maybe she's like, it was perfect as it came. That, yeah, that's probably right. I don't want to insert myself too much into it. Mm-hmm. We're going to play this live performance from television. This is Hard Rock Live on October 15th, 1999. This was the last performance of her and Katen together. This is A Thousand Oceans from Music Plus, Artist of the Month, just two days before that, October 13th, 1999. These tears I've cried. The next day after that is Conan. She was promoting the song everywhere. I'll say. Five days later, on October 20th, 1999, she did it on Rosie. The View. KTLA. Par allure. And Sven Kval med Luk. You know, some songs are meant to do the work for the other songs, and mm. A Thousand Oceans is meant to do the work. She's a workhorse. This is from the 1999 Solo London show on October 29th. Really fantastic verge. Strange. So strange. Here is a promo performance of this song in 2001 on Good Day Atlanta in her butterfly shirt. Roll that, Oliver. You love that shirt. I love that shirt. I want a shirt like that. She performed this song 17 times on the Strange Little Tour, and it always, David, always ended the main set or was in the encore. What do you think of that? I think that makes sense. Why? (laughs) Because this song just has like an air of finality about it. Finality. It's a good closer. 
It is a good closer. And here she closed, not the entire tour with it, but it was the closer of the second to last night of the entire Strange Little Tour. This is December 14, 2001 in Vienna. In 2002-2003, she performed it eight times, seven times on Scarlet's Walk and one time on Lot of Pianos. With the band, right? With the band. And four of those times were in the encore, and four of those times were in the second half of the set when the band came back after solo time. Mm Mm-hmm. I think we should play all the last performances of A Thousand Oceans. Okay. And this is the last performance we have from Scarlet's Walk Tour. This is April 15th, 2003 in San Luis Obispo. This is like the song when the lights come on and everyone just like shuffles out. Where are you going to go from here? Home to cry. Yeah. Party's over. In 2005, she performed the song one time on Original Sensuality and five times on Summer of Sin for a total of six times. It was in the second encore every time and four out of six times it closed the show. Love it. This is the last time she performed it. It did not close the show that time, but this is September 14th, 2005 in San Diego on the organ and the piano. This is the famous People Are Strange show and Way Down. Is it famous? It's famous to me. If I saw that show at the Arclight, I would take its picture. Oh, it was a really good show. Would you ask for its autograph? If you had to choose between its picture and its autograph. Okay, you want a picture? Picture, I don't need an autograph. Why is that lady crying? Mommy, where are you taking my tears? <laughs> Mommy, there's a strange lady hovering over my bed singing me a song. Why you always got to take it to horror? Because it's a creepy little doll girl. And this song was written by a ghost. I'm not doing anything. 2007 on the American Doll Posse tour, she performed it 11 times. And it was always the first song after Secret Time. Here is the last time she performed it in 07, December 8th, 2007 in Oakland. Ephraim Ephraim, let me ask you a question. Yes. Which doll performed this song? Tory doll. And what other doll could it have been performed by? 
Clyday. All right, you got it. And why is the answer Clyde, as you would say? Clyderides. Yep, sister Clyderides. Sister. And when you see somebody that is attractive to you, you're sinning. You're just sinning. In 2009, Tori Amos performed this song six times on the Sinful Attraction Tour and one time on the Sinful Attraction Solo Tour. But we're not going to play any of those. Instead, I'm going to play for you May 6, 2009 on FM4 Vienna pre-tour solo performance. Roll it, Oliver. We'll be coming to visit you. Probably we'll make our way here in September. Our tour starts in July in the States. And Maddie will be out, Matt Chamberlain on drums, um, John Evans on bass, and we're just going to play some songs from town to town. And when people need um, just to come and hang out and do Sonic Mescaline, we'll be there doing it every night. Tash will say something like, no, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> we're getting in trouble these days. Okay. This is Till I See You Again. Thank you for coming. Also play this one for you too. Austin KGSR promo radio. In 2010, Tori performed this song one time only, and it was in Montreux at the Jazz Festival on July 9, 2010, and she closed the show with it. In 2011, Tori performed this song four times, if you can believe it. She performed it in Frankfurt, Essen, Boston, and Chicago, and no, it never closed the show. Isn't that wild? Better closer. A thousand oceans or big wheel? Big wheel. Really? Yeah, she wants people to leave happy and with a party. She doesn't want them crying a thousand oceans. <laughs> this is the last time she played at that tour, December 10, 2011, in Chicago. <laughs> she played it it was solo she never worked this up with the quartet or never worked it up with uh orchestra why do you think that is i don't know how dynamic it would have been if it really lends itself i mean it's obviously a ballad but i don't know if there's a lot of opportunity for a good octet or quartet arrangement what do you think i think it could have really opened up on over silberry hill Hmm. (laughs) 
<laughs> I think it could have been beautiful. Gorgeous. Anyway, thing. It sounded a little bit like curly from the three stooges. Okay. Like, what? In two th- you know what? I don't make fun of your vocal range. I'm not making fun of your range. In 2012, Tori performed this song twice. <laughs> After playing the song just sort of once, twice, three, like not that many times, considering it was a single, considering it's a really like important song in her path, she hasn't really played it that many times. So it's surprising that on the Unrepentant Geraldine's tour in 2014, she whips it out 15 times. We hadn't seen it that much since 2001, 17 times. So, you know, I think that's interesting. I think she prefers to do it solo. Oh, yeah. I think it, yeah. Even though it was written with the band and has like an arrangement with the band, I still think of it as a solo song. Yeah, so do I. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? This is the last time she did it in 2014. This is Adelaide, Australia, November 16th, One time in 2015, and it was June 6th, 2015, in Denmark at the Geskov Castle. should play more castles the native invader tour in 2017 on the native invader tour tori did this six times five times in europe and only one time in the states Hmm. here is november 3rd 2017 in oxen hill maryland slash washington dc at mgm national harbor i was there do you remember it yeah i do remember it actually I actually remember a lot about that show. It was a good one. Take me there. What do you remember? I remember sitting by Kathleen Patron. Mm. I was sitting behind Cecily. I remember how weird the venue was. It is a very large venue. It's a very, it's like a casino. It's a venue in a casino. It's really wide. And she played it on Mother's Day this last tour. So we were there again. Oh. Um, 
yeah, it's a very strange venue. It's like in a casino, but the show was good. And she was able to surprisingly able to wrangle in that wide of a venue with such an intimate performance. It's like Mm. a really difficult job, you know, especially for a solo show. I would imagine. That's what I mean. Yeah. When she was like on Native Invader. Yeah. Mm -hmm. However, on the Ocean to Ocean part one tour in 2022, Tori did this song a mere two times. Why is that? I don't know. She has a you know two songs with Ocean in the title. Is that why? I know. I would have given. I would have bet money that she was going to play this like almost every night. I know. Ocean to ocean to a thousand oceans. We would have lost a lot of money because I also would never have placed a bet on Juarez being the opening song. So that's true. That's true. Me either. But here is the final time she's played it to date. This is May fifth, two thousand twenty-two, in Greenville, South Carolina, at the Peace Center. surprising to me as the ocean to ocean tour has unfolded what she hasn't played you know and it kind of makes that line very clear you know she hasn't played a thousand oceans very much she hasn't played speaking with trees at all it just makes that i agree with you that there's a importance of creating them but she's not like she's never played mary's eyes from 2017 right native invader you know yeah I think there's probably a few things going on. I, it, you know, it's no surprise that she's trying to lift people's spirits, so to speak, following the pandemic by doing more kind of like upbeat songs. She's avoiding a lot of really more emotionally weighty, sad songs. And she likes to send us out on a high note. The past few years, we're ending shows with, you know, like Raspberry Swirl and Big Wheel. So I think her approach has changed. Yeah. And I, she used to end with like, hey, Jupiter. She was not, a, and, and a thousand oceans a lot of times. She was not afraid to leave people devastated. Yeah. <laughs> and she kind of delighted in it i would say but um yeah something's definitely changed yeah so we rarely find ourselves releasing an episode during a tour which is happening right now the ocean to ocean 2023 leg is happening now but she still hasn't performed it again since 2022 but these stats could change in a moment they could change tonight so life is ephemeral Well, that's all she wrote. That's all she cried, David. Oh, boy. All right. Should we dry off? Let's dry off. Get out. Get out of hole. The storms are coming. (laughs) We hope you've enjoyed your visit to the AMOS Live Lounge. Goodbye. disappears from public view only to unleash 12 artificial intelligence lookalikes to throw her adoring fans off the scent. In a devastating accident, one lookalike splits into two, destroying the country, declaring, it's not glamorous, it's just business. In the year 2000, 
I can't do it on key, sorry. In the year 2000, Tori Amos declares war on the patriarchy with scathing indictment and lyrical takedown. Original sin? No, I don't think so. Original sin, shuality. In the year 2000. Tori Amos spares no expense to prank 3,500 fans in Oakland, California, when she hires a crew to film her American Doll Posse World Tour, but insists they not use film in the camera. In the year 2000. Tori Amos stars on screen as a giant skateboarding leg opposite renowned actor and Oscar winner Adrian Brody. No. Yes. <laughs> David, that could never happen. I could see two legs, maybe. Yeah, two legs. Stars of two and legs. a boot. In the year 2000. In the year 2000. Tori Amos communes with mysterious forces to give birth to five children, whom she names after Greek goddesses. After putting these children to work for nine months and violating child labor laws, they all mysteriously vanish overnight, with the only clue being a mysterious note that reads, Girl Disappearing. Girl. In the year 2000. In the year 2000. Tori Amos reinvents the music video with the stunning introduction of new art form, the visualette. Footage of Tori riding a bicycle in a wizard's hat later inspires Beyonce's entire Lemonade project. When life gives you lemons, make visual lights. I like how in the document you wrote Lemons. When life gives you lemons. Did I? <laughs> you did. I was hoping you'd read it that way. Oh, sorry. In the year 2000. In the year 2000. Forgetting all her fans' names, Tori Amos insists on calling them by their sexual orientation during Take to the Sky. One by one, I guess. One, yeah. <laughs> one at a time. G -g 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 As they seem to enjoy this, she continues to do so. So <laughs> it is gay, 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 gay. Oh, hey, you, straight, gay, 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 straight, gay, 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 bisexual. I think. Uh, duck, duck, gay. In the year two thousand. In the year two thousand. Tori Amos scraps entire album to focus on glass making. She knows how to do it. She also forgot boats existed and attempted to swim to New York State for no reason. In the year 2000. In the year 2000. I liked that segment. Oh my goodness. Should we do it never again? <laughs> I liked it. I liked it too. We did it, David! Oh my gosh, we did A Thousand Oceans, we did Venus, and back. We did the whole album, that's it, we're done. How do you feel? I don't know how to feel, I feel spent, I feel confused, All right. I feel like what am I going to do next, who knows? Yeah, I feel like Tori herself, I need. I might need to go on tour with this before I like really understand what we've done. Mm -hmm. So you're going on tour? Yeah. Oh good, 
but not like in the way you're thinking. You're just going to drive around your car listening to the episode? Yes, and also go to the grocery store. Oh, fun. Buy me something. Okay. I'm sad to let Venus go, but I have to say, I mean, we're out of the 90s. The 90s are over for us. It is literally the end of an era. Yeah, it is the end of a decade, the end of an era. We are done. That was the last song of the 90s. Oh my God, I am so scared of the new millennium. Uh, No, it'll be good. You're going to live more of your life in the new millennium than the old millennium. Is that true? Have I already done that? No, let's not open that can of worms. In the year 2000. In the year 2000. (laughs) Do you remember in the year 2000, instead of saying something as cool as slang, we were going to say that things were really wicker? Wicker? So wicker. (laughs) So wicker. (laughs) My only in the year 2000 that I remember is when he said, in the year 2000, J.D. Salinger emerges from his years-long isolation to say that it's pronounced Selena. Salinger. <laughs> do you have to let it Salinger? Is that what that song is about? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Can we do it Strange Little Girls and just add one to the end? Yeah. The year 2001. One. <laughs> well, if you like what we do, head over to our social media. You can go to Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Find us at Songs of Tori Amos. But if you love what we do and you want to support what we do, head over to patreon.com slash Songs of Tori Amos where you can become a supporter today. We have much audio content at many different levels. So we are suitable for every bank account. We sure are. <laughs> I know I am. Oh. And if you want to give us a call and just say hello with your voice to our voice, call 323-296-99. Five five, and if you want to email us, songsatoriamus at gmail.com You can also go to our website, songsatoriamus.com and sign up for our newsletter. What else can they do to support us? Think of us. Remember us the way we were. Remember me fondly. Think of me fondly. Play a thousand oceans instrumental by Yanta at my funeral. Yeah, uh, we'll do that. Thank you. I appreciate it. What song do I want at my funeral? I don't know. Viewer's choice. <laughs> We're viewing your funeral. We get to choose. <laughs> I demand an open casket, no matter what condition I'm oh in. Oh my god! <laughs> no, I won't. I won't do it. I want to be. What's it called? What's it called? <laughs> cremated. There's a, di- a different kind of burial called permussin. Have you heard of like permussin? No, it sounds like a chemical solvent of some kind. Permussin? You have my full permussin. It's called permussin or something? Promission. Maybe it's called promission. Permission? <laughs> Promission. But oh. I think something like that. But it's a machine that you get into that will air dry you or like dehydrate you. It'll take out all the water from your body and then it'll freeze your corpse. Uh-huh. And then it will vibrate you at like really high levels to the point where your frozen body crumbles into ash. So it's like an environmentally friendly option to cremation that will help turn your body and your being into soil. Party? Yeah, part. Did you say party? Yeah. <laughs> party. Let's have a promotion party. What you described is how I feel every summer and anytime I try to go on vacation. What? Like, I've been shaken unnecessarily. I'm just trapped here and I'm hot and dehydrated. Like, this is dumb. I should have stayed home. Wow. But anyway. <laughs> well, kind of like that, but not entirely. <laughs> <laughs> also, it costs a lot of money. Yeah, but that's but what, what I want to do. you care? It's not my money, but whatever. Tell Cheers. that to my heirs. <laughs> Tell that to my one heir, my single heir. <laughs> Oliver? Oliver! Well, it's been fun traveling to space with you, David. It has. Where should we go next? I don't know. I'm going to take some time off, and I want to go to a carnival. Oh, okay. You know, I think we could have some fun at a carnival. What do you think? Okay. Okay. Thank you, everybody, for listening to our show, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.
Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoryamis.com. Oh!